Yeah. Tafadhal Sheikh. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi wa barik wa sallam. First and foremost, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has united, who has gathered us in one of the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this, uh, you know, to honor the guest, Sheikh Muhammad Timhambal. And uh, inshallah ta'ala, I'll just give a, a brief uh, introduction, a brief intro, uh, introduction to Sheikh Muhammad Timhambal. So Sheikh Muhammad Timhambal is from Newcastle in the UK and uh, he is a graduate from the famous faculty of hadith in the Islamic uh, in the Islamic studies from the Islamic University of Medina in Saudi Arabia. Uh, he is also experienced in the field of Rukia, the Islamic method of healing with the Quran, uh, specializing in treatment uh, for black magic, specializing in treatment for black magic, specializing in treatment for black magic and evil eye. He accepted Islam at the age of 14 and is currently involved with a Dawah organization called Amal, which is based in Dubai. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Tim Humble became interested in Islam during religious education classes in primary school. After researching it further on the internet, he accepted Islam at the age of 14 years old. Therefore, he went through a period of uh, four to five years where he struggled to implement and practice his newfound faith. In his own words, one of the biggest problems we have in the Ummah is that we are excellent at selling the religion. We're great salesmen. Where we're really, really failing, where we're really, really falling at is keeping them in is keeping them in Islam once they become Muslims. A suggestion by a friend sparked the idea of studying in the Islamic University of Medina. During his first Hajj, his first Hajj, he applied to and was accepted into the university. He graduated from the faculty of Hadith from the Faculty of Hadith Islamic Studies in, in the year 2011. The Ustad is married with three kids and is the founder of Humble Foundation. So we say to him, Zakumullah khairan for honoring us with your presence and tafaddal mashkuran. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wassalatu wassalam Ala abdillahi wa rasoolih Nabiyina Muhammad Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi Ajma'een Is this one only for the brother's side? Or is it also going to... Ah, okay. Otherwise I would have said for the brothers we can leave it, Sheikh. Doesn't mean... Bismillah walhamdulillah Let's try it. On and off, Sheikh. I can play with it, inshallah. Once it sits, it's going to be fine, inshallah. I think we got it, inshallah. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalatu wassalam ala abdillahi wa rasoolih. Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een amma ba'd. So first of all, I want to praise Allah Azza wa Jal. And secondly, to send peace, blessings, Salutations and to ask Allah to exalt the mention and grant peace to our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and to his family and to his companions. 
And I would like to extend my deepest thanks to everyone who has been involved in organizing this reminder here today. Particularly the shuyukh and the administration in the masjid here. Wallahi, it has been uh, an amazing, amazing effort. And it really is an amazing thing to be able to give this talk here in Durban. And to see, mashallah, tabarakallah, mashallah, tabarakallah, and the brothers, mashallah, that we, we love them for the sake of Allah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to teach us what will benefit us, to benefit us with what he teaches us, and to increase us in knowledge, to give us the ability to act upon it. My dear brothers and sisters, the topic for today is a very important, very relevant topic. It's very, very important and very relevant to the situation that we find ourselves in the world today, and particularly with regard to our young people. And that's why I was particularly keen not only to deliver this reminder and this presentation to the people who are here, but also for it to be live streamed for other people who might be searching. Because our topic today is all about dealing with doubt, confusion and misconceptions. So we're going to be talking about things like a shek, having doubt, things like shubuhat, misconceptions and confusion that spreads among the people. We're not just going to be talking about answers to specific things. But in reality, I actually want to talk about three things if Allah makes it easy for us. The very first thing that I want to talk about is I want to talk about what we mean by doubt and confusion and misconceptions. And then I want to talk about the causes and the solutions for it. What causes people to have doubt? We enter this religion, we're born in this religion, those who are born upon it. They're born upon a natural inclination to worship Allah, a natural gravitation towards the religion of Islam. What makes a person go from that fitrah to a situation of doubt and confusion and misconceptions? And what are some of the solutions or some of the preventative measures that we could take so that we don't fall into this ourselves or what we could take with our families and friends to support those people not to fall into it. And I also, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, want to talk about a general methodology and approach to dealing with shubuhat. You know, a misconception comes before you. What should you do? What shouldn't you do? Or somebody presents something to you that causes you some doubt in your heart. What should you do and what shouldn't you do? And then perhaps if Allah makes it easy, we could speak about some of the most common misconceptions and causes of doubt and confusion among Muslims and also among non-Muslims about Islam. So let's begin by talking about what is it exactly that the topic is about today. So the topic today really revolves around the idea of a shubuhat. And in reality, 
the word shubha, this word, the sheen, and the ba, and the ha, they revolve around something that resembles something else. So for example, we say, this person, this person resembles that person. And what is it then that the shubha resembles? It resembles the truth in the sense that it has enough of something there to make a person think about it. It's not something you reject. It's not from the things that are obviously and totally batil. Because things that are obviously and totally false, we don't really call them shubuhat, misconceptions. For example, if someone were to say that Allah Azza wa Jal has taken a son, they said that Allah took a son, exalted is he in perfection. This we don't call it a shubha. Because in reality, it isn't something that you feel has any connection or any resemblance to the truth at all. Lam yalid wa lam yulad. It's very simple. This is just from the abatil, the falsehoods and the false things that are said. As for a shubha, we're talking about something that causes a person to become confused. They're not sure where the truth and the falsehood is. And maybe the best way to explain this is the hadith of An-Nu'man ibn Bashir radiyallahu anhuma, in which he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بَيِّنٌ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بَيِّنٌ وَبَيْنَهُمَا أُمُورٌ مُشْتَبِهَاتٌ لَا يَعْلَمُهُنَّ كَثِيرٌ مِّنَ النَّاسِ The halal is clear, so we call that bayin, clear. The haram is clear, we call it bayin, it's clear. So the halal, what Allah has made permissible for you, for example, a person, they eat, they go to the restaurant, they take some, or the takeaway, they take some halal food, they eat it. This halal is bayin, it's clear. And somebody goes to a place and purchases alcohol to drink it, this is haram and it's bayin, it's clear. But there are some things that are Mushtabihat, from the same word, shubha, they confuse people. And the Prophet said, لا يعلمهن كثير من الناس. Many people don't know the correct answer to them. Now I want to highlight something here. He didn't say, لا يعلمهن أحد من الناس. He didn't say nobody knows them. But he said many people are confused by them. So we should not think that a shubha that is approached here has no answer. Rather, it does have an answer. And people do know the answer. But it's just that for many, many people, they are not sure where does it lie. Is it truth? Is it falsehood? Is it halal? Is it haram? Why is it confusing? Because perhaps this thing, yushbihul halal min jiha. From one angle when you look at it, it resembles the halal. And another angle when you look at it, yushbihul haram min jiha. You look at it from another way and it resembles the haram. So the person is, I'm not sure. Or somebody puts something into your mind that has a grain of truth in it. 
a grain of truth. We don't say it's true, but it has just a grain of truth, just a tiny misqal darra, like a tiny grain of truth in it. And it causes a person to become confused. For example, someone talks about seeking nearness to Allah through the awliya and the salihin, coming near to them, perhaps asking them to ask Allah, or going to the grave of a person and asking that person to ask the one, to ask Allah, and so on. Where is the grain of truth? The grain of truth is that the awliya do have a position in the sight of Allah. They do. That the righteous people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves them. The person keeps doing good uh, voluntary deeds on top of the obligatory deeds until Allah loves them. So a person took a tiny grain of truth, which is that Allah loves the righteous and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed the righteous and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many cases accepts their dua and they took that tiny grain of truth and they built upon it a batil. Falsehood upon falsehood upon falsehood. So they built upon it, calling upon the dead, and they built upon it, seeking nearness to Allah by worshipping the righteous people, and so on. And this should not surprise you because this happened in the people of, of Nuh. Alayhi salatu was salam. وَقَالُوا لَا تَذَرُنَّ آلِهَتَكُمْ وَلَا تَذَرُنَّ وَدًّا وَلَا سُوَاعًا وَلَا يَغُوثَ وَيَعُوكَ وَنَسْرًا these five righteous men were awliya. That's the grain of truth. They were beloved to Allah. They were righteous. They were near to Allah. But they became idols that were worshipped besides Allah Azza wa Jal. And this is the mountains of falsehood that was built upon a grain of truth. And so this is why we talk about the shubha as being something difficult to deal with. Because it's something that has a certain resemblance, connection, or a certain amount of the truth within it. And so a person may not be easily able to respond or may not be able to easily know the right way of managing this when it is presented to them. As for a shek, then a shek is the opposite of al-yaqeen. It's the opposite of certainty. وَإِذَا قِيلَ إِنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقِّ وَالسَّاعَةُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهَا قُلْتُمْ مَا نَدْرِ مَا السَّاعَةُ إِنَّ ظُنُّ إِلَّا ظَنَّ وَمَا نَحْنُ بِمُسْتَيْقِنِينَ When it's said to them that the promise of Allah is true and the hour has no doubt لا رَيْب There's no doubt in it. These people, they say, we don't know what the hour is. We just guess or we make an assumption and we are not convinced. So this issue of yaqeen, this issue of having certainty. And what we need to understand is that having certainty is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires from us as a part of our testimony that there is no God worthy of worship except Allah. Allah Azza wa Jal said, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَرْتَابُوا وَجَاهَدُوا بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الصَّادِقُونَ Surah Al-Hujurat, ayah number 15. 
those believers, the people of Iman, Innama, Innama we say it is, Min Adat al Hasr. So it's taking and restricting Iman. It's taking Iman like this and making it very, very small. The only people who have Iman are those who believe in Allah and they believe in the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So they have bear witness. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. They bear witness there is no God worthy of worship except Allah. They accept Muhammad Sallallahu as the Messenger of Allah. Thumma lam yartabu. And then they don't have doubt. Then they don't have, they don't have doubt. So Allah made yaqeen, certainty, a pillar and a condition of la ilaha illallah. So if someone said, for example, just to make the issue clear, you meet a non-Muslim in the street and you say to that non-Muslim, you say to them, you present to them the religion of Islam. And you say to them, look, I say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The person says, You know, I'm not convinced with what you say, but you told me about Jannah and you told me about Jahannam. It's not worth taking the risk, better to hedge your bets. I'm not sure, but you know, go on, I'll say it anyway. Would it be accepted from them? We say no, because the person didn't bring certainty. Until they are certain of it and sure of it, and they don't doubt in it, it wouldn't be accepted from them. And Allah Azza wa said about the Quran, This, i.e. this message that was given to you, or this that has been told to you in this surah, it is certain truth. It is It is certain truth. And Allah Azza wa Jal said, "Alam yatikum nabaa al-ladina min qablikum qawmi Nuh wa Aad wa Thamud, wal-ladina min baghdhim la yaglamuhum illa Allah. Jaaathum rusuluhum bil-bayyinati faradu aydiyahum fi afwahihim wa qalu inna kafarna bima ursiltum bih wa inna la fi shakin mima tadgunana ilayhi murib. Qalat rusuluhum afillahi shak. Fatir al-samawat wal-ard." يَدْعُوكُمْ لِيَغْفِرَ لَكُمْ مِنْ ذُنُوبِكُمْ وَيُؤَخِّرَكُمْ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى الْآيَةِ In Surah Ibrahim, has they not come to you the news of the people of Nuh and Ad and Thamud and those who came after them? Allah is the only one who knows them. Their messengers came to them with bayyinat, clear proofs. إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ bayin wa inna الْحَرَامَ bayin, clear proofs. But what they did is they put their hands into their mouths and they said, we have disbelieved in what you were sent with and we are doubtful. We are in a state of doubt and uncertainty about what you are telling us. So when the messengers came, they said, we are, وَإِنَّا لَفِي شَكْ We are in doubt. And we are not convinced, we are unconvinced, we are, con we are in doubt. Their messengers said, Is there doubt in Allah, the originator of the heavens and the earth? He calls you to forgive you for your sins and to give you respite until a predetermined time. So if you see here, what did the people who disbelieve say? They said, we're in doubt, we're not certain. 
And the messengers replied, Afillahi shak. Is there doubt in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Having said this, there is a point that I want to cover now, which I think is extremely, extremely important. And this point is that there is almost no one, there is almost no one who doesn't have some degree of, some degree of confusion or some degree of difficulty or some degree of doubt in something that comes to them, but they repel it. From the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas, that a man asked him, he said, Ma shay'un ajiduhu fi sadri. What's this thing that I find in my chest? He said, what is it? This man, he said, I said, Wallahi ma atakallamu bih. I will never say it out loud. Something came into my heart. I'm never ever going to say this word out loud. Something bad, a bad thought about Allah, a doubt about Islam. Something came into my heart. I'm never going to say it out loud. He said, do you have some kind of doubt? Is it a kind of doubt that you have? He said he smiled like he wants to see. He doesn't even want to say yes. He just lowers his head. He smiles that it is. I have something of doubt in my mind. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, nobody is free from this. No one is free from this. No one goes without having something come into their mind sometimes. He said, until the point that Allah said, if you are in doubt over what we send down to you, then ask those people who recite the book before you. Ibn Abbas now giving solution, and it's the first solution we're going to mention. If you feel some doubt in your heart, what should you say? Recite, huwa al-awwal wal-akhir wal-zahir wal-batin wa huwa bi kulli shay'in alim. He, Allah, is al-awwal wal-akhir, and he is al-zahir wal-batin, the one who is the highest and the one who is the closest with his knowledge. And he is the one who knows everything. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he brought this, the hadith is in Sunan Abi Dawood, hadith Sahih. He brought this as his advice to when you feel doubt. The first thing he said is that no one is safe from this. Nobody can say that they don't have this problem happen to them sometimes. Nobody can say that they don't have something come into their heart, a shubha, or a confusion, or a difficulty, or a, or a doubt of something sometimes. But from the first of the things that a person needs to do is to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to ask Allah azza wa jal for safety and to make dua to Allah azza wa jal for Allah azza wa jal to keep you, to keep you safe. And from the dua or the adhkar, that removes doubt from the heart of a person is this ayah, huwal awwal wal akhir wal dahir wal batin wa huwa bi kulli shayin alim.
But is it just reciting the ayah on its own? Or is it also understanding the ayah? Because knowledge is something which is extremely, extremely important. And inshallah ta'ala, we're going to talk about the importance of we're going to talk about the importance of, of knowledge in a moment. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which he said, He said, The hadith is hadith of Jabir He said, they killed him, may Allah kill them. Why did they not ask when they didn't know? Because the cure for ignorance is asking. The cure for ignorance is asking. So one of the most important things that we can do in order to get out of these doubts and confusion is to ask. And even in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas that mentions this dua, the, the, the tabi'i, the tabi'i rahimahullah, what did he do? He went and he asked, Oh Abdullah ibn Abbas, I've got something in my heart. He said, is it doubt? He smiles. And then he tells him what to do. Because the cure for ignorance is asking. And if you're asking the right person, that person will be able to explain to you the answer to the shubha. As Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَإِذَا جَاءَهُمْ أَمْرٌ مِّنَ الْأَمْنِ أَوِ الْخَوْفِ أَذَاعُوا بِهِ وَلَوْ رَدُّوهُ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ وَإِلَى أُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْهُمْ لَعَلِمَهُ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَنْبِطُونَهُ مِنْهُمْ وَلَوْ لَا فَضْلُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَتُهُ لَاتَّبَعْتُمُ الشَّيْطَانَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا Surah An-Nisa, number 83. When they came to them a matter of safety and or fear, they spread it around. And they got everybody involved. Everybody who doesn't know how to deal with it, doesn't know how to answer, they publicized it. They publicized it. And if they had brought it back to the Rasul and to the people of knowledge among them, they, those people who knew it would have been able to take out the correct ruling from it. And if it wasn't for the grace of Allah and His mercy upon you, you would have followed the shaitan except a few. There are so many benefits we can take from this ayah. First of all, we don't publicize the doubts that we have. We have a doubt, a confusion, a shubha. Let me post it to everybody on Facebook, Instagram, and see who has an answer for it. We don't publicize it. Publicizing it is a matter from the matters of the munafiqeen. The next thing is that we bring it back to the Rasul wasallam, back to his sunnah. And we bring it back to Ulul Amr. And the best of what is said about Ulul Amr in general in the Quran is that they are Al-Ulama wal Umara. They're the scholars and they're the leaders. So if it's a matter of governance and a matter of public safety, so the leader knows about that. He knows where the army is and he knows who's coming, who's going, and what he needs to do. And if it's a matter of a shubha ilmiyah, yani something that a person is confused about or it's causing them doubt and confusion, then the alim has the knowledge to do what? Istimbat. The alim goes and says, no, no, you're wrong. This hadith, you've got confused. Hadith da'if, the hadith is weak. Or he goes and he says, no, this has this explanation. Or he breaks it down for you with knowledge. 
And that's why the ultimate cure to the shubuhat in general is knowledge. Some of them took this from the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal. إِنَّا عَرَضْنَا الْأَمَانَةَ عَلَى السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَالْجِبَالِ فَأَبَيْنَ أَنْ يَحْمِلْنَهَا وَأَشْفَقْنَا مِنْهَا وَحَمَلَهَا الْإِنسَانِ إِنَّهُ كَانَ ظَلُومًا جَهُولًا We offered the responsibility of the Sharia to the heavens and the earth and the mountains. But they declined it. And they were scared of it. And mankind took it on. And he was extremely oppressive and extremely ignorant. They say that the oppression here is following the shahawat, following desires. And that the jahl here, it is the shubuhat that are removed by knowledge. So knowledge and righteous action remove al-dhulm wal-jahl. Knowledge and righteous action are what removes oppression and ignorance. Likewise, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr, Allah doesn't snatch knowledge from the hearts of the people. He doesn't take knowledge away by snatching it out of your heart. But Allah takes knowledge away by taking away the scholars and He causing them to die. Until Allah doesn't leave a scholar, does that mean in the whole world? It doesn't. Because the Prophet said, لا تزال طائفة من أمتي ظاهرين على الحق there will not cease to be a group of people who are victorious upon the truth. But in that locality, for that person, Allah didn't give them any single scholar to access. So what did they do? These people, they took ignorant imams. And they took our ru'us, they took leaders in the deen and in the, in the worldly life. They took leaders, ru'asa, and they took religious guides who were juhal, they were ignorant. What's the proof that they were religious guides here? فَسُئِلُوا They were asked questions. فَأَفْتَوْ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ And they gave a fatwa without knowledge. فَأَضَلُّوا وَأَضَلُّوا They misguide themselves and they misguide other people. So one of the major causes of shubuhat is what? Is asking people who are not qualified. Wallahi, we're going to talk inshallah a little bit about atheism and, and, and young guys getting, you know, getting taken into disbelieving in Islam and leaving Islam. Wallahi, it's sad. And a lot of people think, you know, they tell me Islam is the fastest growing religion and Islam. And, and that might be true, but in reality, there's a lot of people leaving Islam as well. There are. You should be careful to believe, not to believe all the stories you hear, but there are people leaving Islam. And one of the main reasons I saw from the young kids who come and say, I don't want to be Muslim anymore. At one point they had a shubha, they had a doubt. And instead of taking that doubt to the alim or the talibul ilm, who could have given them a really good answer, what did they do? They asked someone that doesn't have knowledge about it. And I know a young boy, he went to his local masjid, and I don't really blame the Imam, you know, the Imam was just a regular, he's, he's the, the guy who leads the Salah and he was, you know, he, the boy came to him and he said, Sheikh, I've got some, some real big doubts. 
I've got some doubts about Islam and the truth of Islam. And, and the problem is the Sheikh didn't know how to answer. So the Sheikh said, look, just be quiet about this and just go. Don't, like, don't let this, just be quiet and, and just go. The problem is now it grew in his heart and it grew so much that he went back to his parents after some time and said, I'm not going to be Muslim anymore. I don't believe in Islam at all. And when we traced it back, we traced it back to that moment where he chose to ask someone that didn't have knowledge about it. People say, I'm going to search the answer on YouTube. I have a doubt about something in the seerah of the Prophet wasallam. I'm not sure what he said. So they go onto YouTube and they find what? Someone who doesn't even believe in the sunnah in the first place, telling them this hadith, or someone who tells them this hadith is fabricated, or, and they get themselves so confused that in the end, they might end up either leaving Islam or they end up increasing in their doubt and confusion that they're no longer able to practice it. So going back to the people of knowledge, and closely related to that is the issue of speaking without knowledge. Surah Al-Hajj, ayah number 8. From among people are those people who argue about Allah. They're not arguing about which football team is best or which you know, thing they place they want to go tonight. They're arguing about the religion of Allah, about Allah. And they're arguing without knowledge and without guidance and without scripture. And this causes shubuhat in multiple ways. First of all, what we see from the ways that it causes shubuhat for people is we see that people get involved in debating with other people. And they start to go back and forward. For example, I know a very famous person who was very, very famous for debating. For debating non-Muslims. Very famous. You know, known around the world. And that person ended up going very, very, very far away from Islam. Extremely far away from Islam. Because in reality, it became arguing without knowledge, no guidance, no scripture. They didn't have knowledge, guidance or scripture. But it was just a matter of arguing. So speaking without knowledge is something which causes the shubuhat of those people to enter the person's heart. Sometimes you see people who they were involved with shubuhat. You know, they were on the defending Islam on the forums, defending Islam on YouTube, defending Islam on Instagram, and those people themselves end up leaving Islam. Why? Because they fell into this ayah. They started arguing. They didn't have knowledge to do it. They didn't have the guidance, they didn't have support, they didn't have any instruction from their seniors and their scholars. They just got involved and they didn't have the scripture. And in the end, they end up absorbing the shubuhat of those people. And sometimes they end up propagating them. They say, ah, I used to debate the Christians and then I realized Christianity is the truth. How could that possibly happen? They debated them without knowledge, no guidance, no scripture, and so they ended up absorbing their shubuhat. From the benefits of this ayah with regard to dealing with confusion and doubt and misconceptions is that when you are presented with a misconception, don't reply to that misconception if you don't know the answer. And this is a big problem in da'wah, 
but it's also a problem in people's personal lives as well. In da'wah, someone comes and says, your religion is not true because of dot, dot, dot. What do you say about the Prophet Sallallahu marriage to Aisha radiallahu anha? What do you do? People without knowledge. Hadith not authentic, it's not true. Uh, uh, she was 18, she was 26, she was 35, and they start to just say things without knowledge. Now, do you know what the problem is? The person brought the shubha to them. It was put to them. But when they responded to it without knowledge, it caused them to actually not only make the shubha worse, but also when they go back and look at this issue, they actually cause doubt to enter into their own heart. Because they come back and they see, oh, hadith is Sahih Bukhari. Sahih Bukhari is not authentic. So you see how the shubha grows and grows and grows. Why? Because when the person could have just said, I don't know what about when the Prophet married Aisha, why he married Aisha. I didn't study the seerah. But I know our Prophet had the best manners. You have the best standard of manners. And I'm sure our Messenger didn't do any single thing wrong. And that's it. I don't know the specifics of what you're saying. I don't know about her age or what she did or what it was. But I'll go find out. That person would not become misguided and would not end up bringing that shubha into their heart. But what they did is they spoke without knowledge. And so they ended up not only misguiding themselves, but also many other people. Because someone watches the video of Muslim response by saying that Sahih Bukhari is not authentic. And now by the end of it, the person goes to inkar sunnah completely. I don't believe any of the hadith are authentic. Because somebody comes and says, what? I can prove to you Bukhari is authentic. There you go. He says, okay, I don't believe any of the sunnah is authentic. And the person went from what? From just saying a word without knowledge to rejecting the whole sunnah of the Prophet because they spoke without knowledge. It's very tempting and I know we see the speaker's corner and the da'wah people on YouTube and everything. I don't know if you have that here, we have it in the UK. It's a complete waste of time, wallahi. I have not seen very little good in it. But they all, you know, they back and forward, back and forward, back and forward and people watch it. And the problem is that a lot of it is They're speaking about Allah without knowledge, backwards and forth. And you feel like you have to answer, right? When someone brings it to you, especially when you get some knowledge about Islam, you studied Islam for a while and someone goes, okay, you studied in Medina, what do you say about this? And instantly, what do you want to do? You want to give an answer. But if you don't have the answer, you must say, I, I don't know. What you can do is give them a generic answer, like I know there is no oppression in Islam. Your Lord does not oppress anybody. Or they could give an answer to say, We know the Prophet had the best standard of character, and so on. You give a, a basic answer from what you know, but don't answer the details if you don't know the answer to that particular question. Also from this that we must mention, and this is really the asal in all of this, is holding on tight to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Why should we hold on to the Qur'an and the Sunnah when it comes to facing shubuhat and doubts? Because Allah said, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِي هُدَى لِلْمُتَّقِينَ 
This is the book that has no doubt in it. It's a guidance for the believers. So what did he describe the book as? There's no doubt in it. And there's no confusion, there's no doubt, there's no shek, there's nothing that's gonna make you confused. This book has got no doubt and it's going to guide you as to what to do. And the statement of Allah Surah Taha between 124 and 126. Whoever turns away from my remembrance will have a very restricted, depressed, and hard life. And we will raise him Yawm Al-Qiyamah blind. He will say, my Lord, why did you raise me blind when I used to be able to see? He will say, like this my ayat came to you and you forgot them. And so today you will be forgotten. Look at the, what happened when the person turned away from, from the Qur'an. They turned away from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And they tried to find the answer to their problem somewhere else. They ended up in ma'ishat and dhanka, in this life, in the grave, and in the hereafter. They ended up in a hard, restricted, rough situation, depressed, miserable, confused, because they turned away from the kitab and the sunnah. The Quran and the Sunnah that Allah gave us, Allah explained everything for us in the Quran and the Sunnah. The Prophet said about him, He doesn't speak from his own desires, it's only a revelation that is revealed. So, why would we turn away from the Quran and the Sunnah? and take some other way of trying to find the answer to our problems. When the Quran and the Sunnah, when we turn away from them, it brings us misery. And when we turn away from them, it brings us doubt because the Quran is the book that has, is la raibati, it has no doubt in it. If it was from other than Allah, If it was from other than Allah, they would have found so many differences in it. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said in the hadith of Al-Irbad al-Musariyah, he said, فَعَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّتِي وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ الْمَهْدِيِينَ He said, stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the rightly guided khulafa. If you, what did he say this in relation to? When you live a long time, you're going to see lots of differences, lots of shubuhat, confusion, ikhtilaf, lots of shak, doubt, lots of problems. What are you going to do? Stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of the Khulafa al-Rashideen. We're going to come to the sunnah of the Khulafa al-Rashideen in a moment. But before that, what about the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal? فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةِ أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Let there be a warning. Those people who go against the command of the Prophet wasallam, that they are struck by a fitna. A fitna. And do they fall into the fitna with anything other than the shubuhat? or the shahawat, and they fall into this 
fitna. They start to worship other than Allah. They start to go openly against the sunnah because they fell into a fitna when they went against the sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or a severe punishment in Surah An-Nur, ayah number 63. But as the hadith of Al-Irbab, Nusariyah, indicates to us, it's not just the sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is very important. But it's also the understanding of the students of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Who are those students? Sahaba. The way they understood. Because no doubt the Sunnah explains the Quran. And there's no doubt that the Sunnah, when we want to understand it properly, we need to go to the people who witnessed that Sunnah with their own eyes and experienced it and transmitted it with authentic chains of narration. And they are the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Those Sahaba, they transmitted this Sunnah and they explained it for us. And the Tabi'een took from them and the people who took from them, like the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, خَيْرُ الْقُرُونِ قَرْنِي ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ the best generation is my generation than those who follow them and those who follow them. That's why, do you see shubuhat among the Sahaba? You don't. Do you see bid'ah among the Sahaba? You don't. Do you see shirkiyat among the Sahaba falling into shirk? You don't. Why? Because they had the best teacher and they had direct access to the revelation. So if you want to be free from these shirkiyat and this bid'ah and this this shukuk and these shubuhat, how are you going to be free from it? By sticking to what the Sahaba were upon radiallahu anhum. And then if you look at the generation of the tabi'een, you find that still the amount of doubts and confusion is way less than afterwards. There are some individuals pop up their heads and everybody jumps on them. The Qadariya, the different groups, they come out. The Khawarij, different groups, they pop out and they say things and people refute them and speak against them and warn against them and correct that belief because still they had, they were the students of the students of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Tabi'een. So they were the least of the people to have confusion and they were the people that had the least number of misconceptions and the most knowledge to respond to it. So these conceptions or these misconceptions, what you're going to see about them, my dear brothers and sisters, you're going to see something. You're going to see that actually they don't really, even today, they don't really come in a new form. All that happens is somebody takes an old shubha from back in the back, back, back in the day and they repackage it. They bring some new different ayah, another hadith, they try to confuse, they bring a different presentation to you, a different marketing, and they give it to you. But when you break it down, it's the same old shubha as before. Sometimes people come up with brand new, you know, brand new shubhat. Somebody wrote a book and the scholars say, oh, this person brought, you know, many shubhat. But when you go back to it, it's still the same. The only reason we worship them is to make them and make us near to Allah in position. These are our intercessors with Allah. The same things that Quraysh used to say, the same shubuhat Quraysh used to bring. Until today, people bring out a book. They bring the same thing. They just wrap it up, change it a little bit, talk about 
the awliya or their position and status or whatever. But in reality, they're not saying anything different to what Quraysh said. Illa we worship them to make us near to Allah in position. So when you go back to that time, you find the usul of the shubahat. Even if the shubahat is, you know, something a little bit different, but you find the origin of it and you find the answer to it in a way that is far, far better than what we could bring. Can we bring an evidence for this in the Quran? Two evidences. The statement of Allah if the new people to Islam believe like you people, now Allah uses the plural, it's not the Prophet he's talking to here, Amantum, all of you people believe in the Sahaba, then they are rightly guided. And if they turn away, they are in shiqaq. And shiqaq, it means that they have been split up and they're in disarray. One of them opposes the other one. They're going against each other. So they've got shubuhat now. They've got doubts. They're confused. They're split. They're divided because they didn't follow the belief the way that the Sahaba believed. And the statement of Allah Azza And whoever opposes the messenger after the guidance came to them and follows a way other than the way of the believers, we will give him and entrust him to what he's chosen. And we'll put him into Jahannam and what an evil destination. Two points here. First thing, what does he do? Yushaqiq al-Rasul. He goes opposite to the Prophet He goes against the Sunnah. The second thing that he does is he stops following the Sahaba. Because when this ayah was revealed, who were the mu'minun in the ayah? They can only be the Sahaba. There was no, nobody else on the earth who could be described as mu'minun when that ayah came down except the Sahaba. They follow a way other than the way of the Sahaba. We're going to give them what they've chosen. Entrust them to it. Allah is not going to protect them anymore. Allah is going to leave them to what they've chosen and put them into Jahannam. And what a terrible destination. As we move on to talk about knowledge and to talk about the ways to avoid doubt and some of the causes of it, inshallah ta'ala, one of the points that I really wanted to talk about is taking knowledge slowly. Because one of the things that causes shubuhat is taking knowledge all in one go or taking confusing aspects before you take the simple ones. The evidence for this is the statement of Allah Azza Those who disbelieve said, why is the Quran not sent down in one go? This is how we made your heart firm and we made you firm upon knowledge and not having doubt because we gave you knowledge in small amounts. And it was given to you in these phases and stages. Abdul Karim al-Rifai, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Ta'amul kibar 
sum sigar The food of the big, the elderly, or the food of the adult is the poison of the young. That's why if you took a little newborn baby and you just fed the newborn baby the food that you eat every day, the baby might die. And so we learn from this that you have to take knowledge with tadarruj, otherwise you poison yourself. So somebody comes and what do they do? That person comes and they try to take a really complicated issue and they want to understand it. And they haven't understood any of the small issues in Islam or the basics of Islam. They took the complicated issue and they tried to understand it and now they got themselves all confused with shubuhat because the food of the older person is poison for the younger one. And so they ended up poisoning themselves either by trying to take all the knowledge in one go or by trying to take an advanced matter before they took a basic matter. Very good. One thing we need to talk about which is extremely important is we need to talk about ikhlas. Because a lot of times shubhat come to a person because of a problem in their intention. And we know the famous hadith of Umar radiallahu an annahu qala sami'tu rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul innama al-a'malu bin-niyat wa innama likulli imri'in ma nawa he said, I heard the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say, actions are according to intention and everyone will have the reward of what they intended. How many times does a person fall into shubuhat and confusion and doubts? Why? Because their intention wasn't sincere. Maybe they wanted to learn knowledge to compete with the scholars or to control the ignorant people or to have the, like for the peoples, uh, as is mentioned in the hadith, that the person who seeks knowledge and he wants to compete with the scholars or he wants to control the sufaha, like he wants to make them follow him or he wants the people to look at him Allah will put him into the fire as the Messenger said Allah doesn't accept a person to do something that isn't for his sake as Allah said in the Hadith Qudusi, which the Messenger وسلم, narrated from him, I'm the least in need of anyone making a partner with me. Whoever does an action in which they associate someone in worship with me, I leave them and I leave their action. And the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, أَخْوَفُ مَا أَخَافُ عَلَيْكُمْ الشِّرْكَ الْخَفِيمِ Or كما قال, The thing I'm the most scared of you for is the hidden shirk. Things like riya, it's not only riya, but like riya and other things. For from this we understood the issue of sincerity and how important it is for us to be sincere. Many people, they want to make a refutation of someone, make themselves look good. If you want some kalam on this, Abbad ibn Abbad al-Khawas in Sunan al-Darimi Rahimahullah ta'ala from the companions of Sufyan al-Thawri Rahimahullah He has some beautiful kalam on this issue On the issue of refuting people to make yourself look good 
Sometimes when a person does that, what happens to them? They fall into shubuhat. Why? Because the reason that they refuted this individual or the reason they responded to this person or the reason they wrote this PDF for them is because they wanted to make tazayyunan li They wanted to make themselves look good. And then the next day or the next week or two years or three years, you see this individual falls into the same shubahat and they're doing the same things that they wrote and warned the people about. Because they weren't sincere. So it's very, very important that whatever we do is sincere. Seek knowledge, it's sincere. And not just sincere, but following the sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we mentioned that earlier. From the actions of sincerity is asking Allah Azza wa Jal to make you firm. Because if Allah doesn't make you firm, even if you do the right thing, you could fall into something, into some kind of confusion or doubt. What's the evidence? The statement of Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al-Isra. وَلَوْلَا أَن ثَبَّتْنَاكَ لَقَدْ كِدْتَ تَرْكَنُ إِلَيْهِمْ شَيْئًا قَلِيلًا if it was not that the fact, O Muhammad وسلم, if it wasn't for the fact that we made you strong, you would have gone a little bit towards what they said. You would have leaned a little bit towards what they said. If that's our messenger, we're told that if Allah didn't make you firm, you would have gone towards them. Then how about us? Min babi awla, we are more likely to do that. So we need to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thabat for Allah to make us firm and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us upon the truth and to seek refuge with Allah from that which is confusing. For example, the one who says, Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqa wa razuqna attiba'a Oh Allah, show us the truth is the truth and allow us to follow it. Wa arina al-baatila baatilan wa razuqna ajtinaba And show us the falsehood is the falsehood and allow us to keep away from it from the things which we need to understand as it relates to this topic is the issue of making sure of something before we speak. Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu in jaa'akum fasiqun bi naba'in fatabayyanu in qira'a fatathabbatu an tusibu qawman bi jahalatin fatusbihu ala ma fa'altum nadimeen O you who believe if a disobedient person, طيب, a disobedient person, who else is therefore included? The kafir is worse than the disobedient person. And also the mubham, the anonymous person is also included because we don't know if they are fasiq or not. So the fasiq or the anonymous person or the disbeliever, when they bring news to you, make sure of it. Tabayyanu. Make it clear. Tathabbatu. Make sure that you understood the reality of it. So you don't harm a people out of ignorance and become regretful over what you have done. So many people, this happens to them. Somebody came to them with something and they absorbed the shubha without even checking the reliability of what was said. Someone brings you a hadith and he says, don't you know that in Islam there is this and this and this and this is the hadith. Or they may be sure, you look, look, it's in Musnad al-Imam Ahmed. They normally go for Musnad al-Imam Ahmed because people don't know it as well. It's a bit easier to find the hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim. They open it up. I see, Musnad al-Imam Ahmed. Before you even respond, first of all, check, is this hadith even in Musnad al-Imam Ahmed? I remember I used to go to a place that had 
I mean, they had good shawarma, to be honest. They had, they used to make, you know, the shawarma and sandwiches, chicken sandwiches and stuff. And on the wall, they had this hadith. And this hadith used to really trouble me, man. Like, it was like, if you want to be the richest of the people, if you want to be the happiest of the people, if you want to be the most knowledgeable of the people, if you want to be the, you know, the, 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 the best manager of the... And it was, like the, it was like, you know, a good amount of the wall. And generally, the Prophet ﷺ generally was, he was given Jawami al-Kalim, right? When he, yeah, it came back on, inshallah. So, what we studied in hadith is that generally speaking, Muslim Imam Ahmad doesn't contain a hadith mawdu'ah, fabricated hadith. There might be some that are discussed about, but generally speaking, it doesn't. So I'm shocked that this hadith must be, I mean, there must be some basis to it. Maybe it's ta'if, but I mean, there must be some. So I look through Muslim Imam Ahmad. From the beginning, I'm searching, I'm going through the online, I'm looking at this hadith is not in Musnad al-Imam Ahmad anywhere. Somebody just wrote at the bottom of the hadith, Musnad al-Imam Ahmad. It's not even there. And the Shubahat of the Christians, I wrote my uh, graduate thesis on this topic, on the Shubahat of Christian preachers. Their doubts and confusion they put in people's mind, the Christian preachers. I wrote uh, my graduate thesis on it. And I found that a significant percentage of their doubts are just kadib. They just made it up. In Sahih al-Bukhari it says this and this in Sahih Muslim. And they're just saying it to people who don't know anything anyway. And the person says, oh, you know, in the Quran it says. And they just, you know, they, they tell you things that are not in Islam at all. I'm not talking about ikhtilaf. It doesn't exist at all. They just made it up. So one of the main ways that you can be free of uh, shubuhat is before you even deal with the issue, make sure that it's there. So someone says, oh, I'm going to bring you about Islam. It says in Sahih al-Bukhari, whoever makes sajda at the grave of the awliya, hold on a second. First thing, before you talk about that, let me first see, is this a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari or it's not in Sahih al-Bukhari? It's not in Sahih al-Bukhari. Oh, did I say Bukhari? I meant my teacher from Bukhara. <laughs> like this type of stuff happens, right? You see people very common from the shubahat of Ahlul Bid'ah, and this is one of their favorites, is they take a da'if hadith from a tarikh al-kabir by al-Bukhari, or from al-adab al-mufrad by al-Bukhari, and we know that in these books, al-Bukhari doesn't require the hadith to be sahih. And they say, rawahu al-Bukhari, wallahi rawahu al-Bukhari. I swear by Allah, Bukhari narrated it. Sahih, Bukhari narrated it, but where? Tariq al-Kabir, in his book on history. Or Bukhari narrated it in Al-Adab al-Mufrad. In his Adab, neither of which are supposed to be guaranteed authentic. For see the caref, be very careful. If you want to get over the shubhat, the first thing is فَتَثَبَّتُوا Let me first find out what you're telling me here. You're saying to me that this scholar said this, this guy said this, this person did this, this hadith, this ayah, first of all, let me take my time. Take your time. Let me take my time and let me see here. Is this really here? Did the scholar really say this? Recently, someone presented me with a shubha about Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala. Shaykh al-Islam said this, and it's really like horrible speech, you know, like really like, and you know for sure, like, you know, ibn Taymiyyah, he's a person, right? He gets things right and wrong, but he's not that person to say something like what they said. 
you do not imagine ever that it will come from Shaykh al-Islam ibn Wallahi, it's in his book. You can go and check, I swear by Allah. So you go to his book, you open it up, and it's in his book. It's a quote from the person that he's refuting. So he refutes the person and he says, this person said, and then he brings the quote and he ends the quote and he says, I say, this is, you know, they took the quote of the person he's refuting and they said, Ibn Taymiyyah said in his book, dot, 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 dot. Make sure of things and then you will not be so easily fooled by things when you make sure of them. Closely related to this is quite a big topic, but it's worth us just talking about, inshallah. We are going to take a break, inshallah, don't worry. But uh, one of them is this issue of Rad al-mutashabih al-muhkam. And this is really a golden methodology when it comes to keeping away from shubuhat or responding to them. And that is that you have some statements Maybe it's an ayah, or a hadith, or it could be a statement of someone. And it is mutashabih. What does the word mutashabih mean? Does it mean it's doubtful? We don't doubt the Qur'an. We don't doubt what the Prophet ﷺ said. Mutashabih, what it means here is, يَحْتَمِلُ أَكْثَرْ مِنْ It has more than one meaning, and these two meanings are, they clash with each other. And there's a clash between these two. So in other words, many ayat have more than one meaning, but there's no, there's no issue with that meaning. For example, The rope of Allah is the Quran, the rope of Allah is the Sunnah, the rope of Allah is Islam, the rope of Allah is the Jama'ah. All of that is fine, there's no, you can take it all, none of it clashes. But sometimes you have an ayah, it might mean one thing and it might mean something very different and the two of them clash with each other. So when you have an ayah like that or a hadith like that, how do you behave? Allah told you how to behave. and in, uh, in terms of al-waqf wal-ibtida' you can also read it وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَالْرَاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ and the waqf is there يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِهِ we'll talk about that in a second Allah says it is Allah who sent down the book to you in this book there are ayat which are muhkamat what is the muhkam? it has one unequivocal meaning that's muhkam or if it has more than one meaning, the meaning doesn't come, there is no clash any. It has, its meaning is unequivocal. There is no possibility. Allah does not forgive you, make a partner with him, but he forgives anything less than that for whoever he wills. Someone comes and says, there's a hadith about killing a Muslim. Before you talk, Allah does not forgive you to make a partner with him, but he forgives anything less than that for whatever he, for whoever he wills. 
Therefore, this is unequivocal. There's no way you can say, well, maybe there's some things he doesn't forgive. There's no other meaning to this ayah in Surah An-Nisa. It's that's it. And then you have other ayahs which are mutashabihat, meaning it's possible that there is more than one meaning to them. As for the ayat which are muhkamat, hunna ummul kitab, they are the majority of the book. So someone cannot come and say, ayatu sifat mutashabihat. They cannot come and say that the ayat which talk about Allah and his sifat are mutashabihat. Two answers. For example, the people come and say, the ayat which speak about Allah and his names and his attributes, these ayat might have different meanings. What do we say? Two answers. The statement of Allah Kitab, the majority, the core of the book is muhkam, and it is unequivocal. Surah Al-Fatiha, Ayat Al-Kursi, is this not, if this is not Ummul Kitab, I don't know what is Ummul Kitab. So to say that Surah Al-Fatiha, the names and attributes in it, and to say that Ayat Al-Kursi, the names and attributes in it, are unclear, this goes against the statement of Allah Ummul Kitab. Then even more than that do we say that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he read Ayat Al-Kursi from the beginning to the end, did he know the meaning or he didn't know the meaning? He has to have known the meaning. And that's why we say there is a Qira'ah, or there is a rule within Al-Waqf wal-Ibtida, which is permissible to stop upon وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ No one knows the interpretation of these ayat except for Allah, as well as those who are firmly grounded in knowledge. And that, if we can prove that, also answers the question from the other angle as well, that even if you have an ayah that is, it has some equivocal meanings, more than one option, there will be people who know it, like Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Abbas, both of them reported that there is no ayah in the Qur'an except that I know the tafsir of it. وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ طيب, What about the statement, the qira'a, when we read وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهُ and we stop. What is it that only Allah knows? The scholars, they say عَاقِبَةُ الْأَمْرِ How will the matter end? No one knows except Allah. And what will be the outcome? No one knows the answer except Allah. Tayyip. So what did Allah command us to do? If you have an ayah that has more than one possible meaning and the two meanings go against each other, which meaning do you take? The meaning that is in accordance with the ayat which have only one possible meaning. So you take the mutashabih, the ayah that has two or three possible meanings the meaning that you choose is the one that's consistent with the rest of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Example, some people, while they're proving their issue of building the adriha, the shrines and things like that, what do they say? They said, build a building over the people of the cave, your Lord knows better about them. The people who won the argument, they said, we're going to build a masjid. Is this ayah possible 
that the people who won the argument were believers or disbelievers? Okay, I would say no, but I'm gonna just, we'll go with it. It's possible that this ayah, the people who built the shrine, were maybe believers or maybe not. Taib, in the whole rest of the Quran, which meaning is consistent with the whole rest of the Quran and the Sunnah? The Prophet ﷺ, in the moments before he died, he said, May Allah's curse be upon the Jews and the Christians. They took the graves of their prophets as places of worship. So which one is now consistent? In the, all these statements, the masjid belongs to Allah. Don't make dua to anyone besides Allah. What we said about the people of Nuh and the whole, I keep going from any part in the Quran. There is not one single place that you can find anything to support that interpretation. And therefore, the only option is to take the interpretation which is consistent with the rest of the Quran. Why is this important in responding to Shubuhat? because it provides you with a generic approach to dealing with this particular issue. So somebody comes and brings a shubha to you and you don't know the interpretation of this ayah or you don't know the interpretation of the hadith. You're not sure, or the statement of the alim or whatever. But you do have with you ayatun muhkamat. You know the ayat which are clear and you know certain hadith. You now can be sure of the hadith that you convey, the ayah that you convey. Transmit from me if it's only one ayah. You're certain of it. So someone comes and brings you a statement. You're not really sure. Well, I never heard this before. It is those people it is those people who call upon Allah, seeking a means of nearness to Allah, which of them is nearer? And they hope for Allah's reward, they fear Allah's punishment. Somebody comes to you and says, this ayah was revealed about seeking nearness to Allah through the righteous people. First of all, we say this is not, it doesn't make, the, it's not the tafsir of the ayah for anyone who reads it, but anyway, we'll go with it. Is this consistent with the statement of Allah? What about the statement of Allah? These are our intercessors with Allah. We only worship them to seek nearness to Allah in position. You don't need to know the specific answer just at that moment. Just to say, look, what you're telling me to do is sarfu you're telling me to take something that's Allah's right alone and give it to someone else. And that is something I cannot do because Allah said, As for the specifics of what you're saying, the tafsir, what did Al-Tabari say and Ibn Kathir, and what did Al-Baghawi say about it, and what did Al-Qurtubi say about it, and is there a hadith explaining it? I don't know, to be honest, I haven't come across it. But I know for a fact that it's not possible that anyone can give an act of worship to other than Allah. That first answer gives you something, right? It just, it may not get rid of the problem forever. The person may not say, wow, Alhamdulillah, you explained to me, now I understood. The person may say, no, 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 it's not ibadah because it's tawassul. And you can, yeah, you can deal with that again. But in the beginning, it gets the shubha out of your heart and it gives you something to put your feet upon. 
people come to you sometimes with things about Islam or about your teachers or, and you're so confused, just say, look, this is what I know. This is the ayah. This is the hadith that I know. This is what I have studied. As for what you're saying to me, I don't really know the details of what you're telling me about right now. And that's okay because nobody has knowledge of everything and nobody gathers knowledge of the entire religion except for a messenger. Uh, nobody else gathers the knowledge, you know, the complete knowledge of the rulings of the religion. Like a Shafi'i said it. Shafi'i, he said it uh, in Jumma'ul Ilm. Rahimahullah ta'ala. Nobody memorized all of the hadith of the Prophet. Nobody, like, nobody memorized, has every single thing that he said or knows every single ruling on the relating to the religion. So I don't know what you're saying to me specifically, but in general, I do know that there's no way that what you're saying to me can be true. For example, someone says to you, we're going to cover these in a bit after the small break, inshallah. Somebody comes to you and says to you, Islam oppresses women. And the evidence is, Allah gives you instruction with regard to your children. The male children get double what the female children get. You don't know the rulings of it. You haven't studied the issue of al-fara'id, all the division of the inheritance and things like that. You don't know, does it apply all the time or sometimes? Is it in the person's life or after their death? I don't know, but I know one thing. Your Lord doesn't oppress anybody. That's it. But the Prophet said, I never saw anyone have more deficiency in their intellect or their religion. I don't know the explanation of this hadith, what the scholars of hadith said about it, the authenticity. I don't know anything about it. But I know for certain that this religion is absolutely just and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolutely just. And the Prophet said to Dhul Khawaisara, Who is going to be just if I'm not just? The details of it, I'll get back to you. I'll go study, go ask the people of knowledge, get the answers, I'll come back to you. But I know that what you're telling me has to be false because it contradicts the clear text of the Qur'an and the Sunnah in the sense of you're telling me there's injustice in Islam, Islam is oppressive, it's not possible there could be injustice in Islam because Allah told us that He has made dhulm forbidden for Himself and dhulm forbidden to His servants and Allah told us that He doesn't oppress anybody and the Prophet ﷺ told us nobody will be just if He's not just and that's it. The details of it I get back to you. Is that going to stop the problem? It's not. If the person is really sincere and honest, they would say to you, Wallah, you're, you're right. You're right. There must be something in it. We'll go together and learn. But in reality, most people will not say this to you. They're not going to say to you, Jazakallah khairan, I benefit. They're going to say, no, you, you, know, you, see, you don't know. But all you need to do is just stand your ground. You've got somewhere to put your feet. You've got somewhere to make yourself strong. And keep saying, look, the specifics, I don't know. What did Allah say? Don't, don't pursue something you don't have knowledge of. 
your hearing and your sight and your heart, you're going to be asked about it. Let's see some of the other small points that we had to make before this break. From the most important of the points that I want to make to you. And from the most important of the reasons for the shubuhat to get into a person's heart is sitting with the people of desires and innovations. And the evidence for this is the statement of Allah Azza Allah has certainly revealed to you in the book that if you people hear the ayat of Allah being disbelieved in or made fun of, don't sit with them. Until they go to a different topic. If you sit with them while they are bringing these things, making fun of the religion, disbelieving in the ayat, bringing you doubts and confusion, you're gonna be like them. And Allah will gather the munafiqeen and the kafirin in Jahannam all together. Imam al-Zahabi, he said in al-Seer, He said, most of the people of knowledge in the early generations, or most of the imams of the early generations, they stuck to this warning. Yani the warning of debating and discussing and getting involved with the people who are bringing these false statements. They say that they see that the hearts are weak and these shubuhat, they are khattafa. Yani they pull you easily. They snatch you. They snatch you easily. The hearts are weak and the shubahat, they snatch you. They're not strong. The plot of the shaitan is weak. They're not strong, but they snatch, they pull you. They catch you when you're not aware. So don't be around these people sitting with them and talking with them and chatting. I'm going to go on YouTube. I'm going to listen to all the shubahat they say, whether it's the Christian missionaries or whether it's someone from the misguided groups or whatever, don't sit with them while they're bringing out all these doubts and confusions. And then you say, no, 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 I'm going to find the truth. I'm going to respond to them. You're going to become like them. And your heart is weak. And these shubahat, they are harsh. They, are sna they snatch you out. They pick you up and take you away. But... There is some fiqh to this, and there are some situations where people of knowledge might respond if they see that a doubt is becoming widespread, if they see the harm among their Muslim brothers. It's not that they sit with these people, but they saw the harm, they saw a book or they saw some video come out, and they respond to it. But generally speaking, we should, not be, we should try our very best not to be involved in these things as much as we can. And only when the situation is a necessity do we take it and respond to it, or read it, or be involved, or watch it, or whatever. But we see people watching Shubahat. Like they sit for entertainment on YouTube, watching, oh, look at this guy, what he said. I remember a situation of a guy, a Christian preacher, used to come to Dubai. This Christian preacher claims he used to be a Muslim, but he's a kadhab, he's an extreme liar. 
And he never, as far as we can see, was never a Muslim. But he just, you know, they all do that. I used to be a Muslim and now I've found Jesus. And, you know, this kind of stuff. This guy, they used to bring him to debate with some of the Muslim, uh, you know, uh, students of knowledge or, or whatever, debaters. And they used to bring him to debate. And in one debate, you know, the, the, the Muslim guy, really, he won the debate. He absolutely wiped the floor with this guy. You know, like he, he proved all his things are wrong. He, you know, he, he did a good job of presenting the issue. But the problem is this guy, there were Muslims in the audience watching, a bit of entertainment. Oh, look at this. There were some non-Muslims. But the general feeling when this person left and the general feedback from the people is that the non-Muslim pastor won the debate. Why? Not from, the, not from knowledge, because he didn't have any. Only from emotion. He touched the hearts of people. He would say, how can you insult? You know, how can you say something bad about my, whatever, Paul, my, Jesus, my... Like, so he managed to touch Muslims' hearts. Even Muslims came out saying, you know what it is? Yeah, he's not right, but... Yeah. You know, like something went in there. Because of sitting with these people, why are you sitting to watch them? Why have you come to listen to him bring his shubahat? If the Muslim guy needs to come, let not one Muslim come with him. Let him go by himself to the audience, let him take away the, the doubts and khalas, let him go home. Why bring Muslims who've never heard these doubts and bring these doubts to them? I remember one of our mashayikh in the jami'ah in the Islamic University. Wallahi, I learned this from him, Wallahi, Sheikh, Wallahi, Jazahullah, Khairan, Wahafidahullah Ta'ala, Wallahi, I learned from him something very, very powerful. What I learned from the Sheikh is that I learned that the Sheikh, he would, when he would teach us, he would teach us, uh, he was teaching us Iman, Abu Abul Iman, the topics of Iman. And because it's an advanced class, we sometimes have to learn Shubuhat, right? We have to sometimes learn what the bad people say about things and. The Sheikh, before the Shubha, you would see his face change. And you would see him look to the back of the classroom. And if anybody was sleeping, he wouldn't read the Shubha out. Like if anyone was like, you know, dozing off in the back of the class, he wouldn't even mention it out of a fear that the person would see part of it, but not see the answer to it. And he would say, Juan, if you're not concentrating, you have my permission to go. You know, no harm on you, just go, but don't let yourself listen to a bit and not get the answer. And he would never give out a shubha at the end of the lesson. If there was no time, sometimes we finish the lesson, he said, questions and answers. Sheikh, we have, no, no, we're not going to cover that. We'll cover it next lesson so you hear the issue and you hear the answer with it. Not that you hear the issue and go home and it goes into your heart. From this is the issue of not being involved in and this is very important to me on the topic of shubahat, I'll be honest with you. I didn't bring it just for the sake of it. It's very, to me, it's very relevant in the issue of shubahat. Because a lot of people found the best way to respond to doubts and confusion is to bring rhetoric, philosophy, and logic. In fact, this became so popular in the da'wah scene. I'm not even talking about now the groups and sects. I'm talking about in, among Muslims upon the sunnah in the da'wah group. They love it because let me, I'm going to prove to you Allah exists without the Qur'an and without the sunnah. Did Allah ask you to prove that he exists without the Qur'an and sunnah? Al-Balagh al-Mubin. Allah requires you just to give the message. 
just read them the Quran, tell them what it means. Let them believe or not believe. But as for, I'm going to bring you the logical proofs to prove that Allah exists. This is the problem. The problem is this. First of all, the statement of Allah Azzawajal, If you differ over something, bring it back to Allah and the Rasul, the Quran and the Sunnah. If you believe in Allah in the last day, this is better and it's a better interpretation and a better outcome. It's ahsanu ta'wila, the outcome will be better. That means that everything apart from the Quran and the Sunnah is not going to be better. So anyone who says, I'm not going to use Quran and Sunnah here, instead what I'm going to use is, I'm going to use logic and rhetoric and whatever. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Al-Quran, mutadhammin. He said, this Qur'an encompasses the cures, the medicines for all the diseases of the heart and the cure from all kinds of sicknesses. And he quotes, He quotes, O you, O mankind, there has certainly come to you an admonition from your Lord and a cure for what is in the chest and a guidance and a mercy for the believers. And Allah said, We send down of the Quran that which is a cure and a mercy for the believers. He said, he said, the best of what the scholars of rhetoric and philosophy have, what the Quran has, is better in establishing what they're saying, and it does a better job. The Quran does a better job of proving Allah exists than the mutakallimin. And the tafsir of it is better. As for these people, what they have is a takalluf. They make it complicated, they make it long, and they make it burdensome. He said, they make, it, they make it burdensome, they make it long, and they make it complicated. Rather, if you said, This would be enough for anyone to accept the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But instead, we're going to talk about Hudut al-Ajsam, we're going to talk about al-Arab, we're going to talk about the events and the originator of the... And all of it is just takalluf wa tatwil wa ta'qid. You're making it hard for people, you're burdening them, and you're making it long. What kind of intellectual argument should you use? Adillatun aqliyatun shar'iyya. The evidences that are logical presented within the Quran and Sunnah, there is nothing wrong with them. Ibn Qayyim, he continues, he said, وَمِنَ الْمُحَادِ أَنْ لَا يَحْصُلُ الشِّفَاءُ وَالْهُدَى وَالْعِلْمُ وَالْيَقِينُ مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَكَلَامِ رَسُولِهِ He said, it is impossible that the cure doesn't come and guidance and knowledge and certainty comes from something other than the, than the Quran and the Sunnah. وَيَحْصُلُ مِنْ كَلَامِ هَؤُلَاءِ الْمُتَحِيِّرِينَ الْمُتَشَكِّكِينَ and he says, 
How is it possible that the Quran doesn't give you knowledge and guidance? And yet the speech of these people who in the first place are full of doubt and full of confusion. They're full of doubt and confusion themselves. How can they be the ones that bring you a cure and guidance and knowledge? And then he quotes Ar-Razi in his poetry where he said, Nihayatu iqdam al-uquli iqalun wa akthru sa'il al-alamina dalalun wa arwahuna fi wahshatin min jusumina wa hasiru dunyana a'than wa wabalu lam nastafid min bahthina tulu umrina siwa an jama'na fihi qilun wa qalu he said the end of all of these efforts of using our intellect was that we were all trapped up. And most of the people who made their efforts ended in misguidance. He said, we were just harmed and we just suffered. We didn't benefit from all of this searching that we did for our whole life, except that we gathered, he said, and she said. That's the end of what these people have. They're doubt, they're full of doubts, full of confusion, full of um, contradictions. Why don't you just go to the Quran and the Sunnah and you'll find the answer for it. He said, still, لَقَدْ تَأَمَّلْتُ الطُرَقَ الْكَلَامِيَّةِ وَالْمَنَاهِجَ الْفَلْسَفِيَّةِ فَمَا رَأَيْتُهَا تَشْفِ عَلِيلًا وَلَا تَرْوِ غَلِيلًا he said, I looked at all of the ways of the mutakallimin, ilm al-kalam and philosophy. And I don't see that it cures the sick, nor does it give thirst, or do, nor does it quench the thirst. وَرَأَيْتُ أَقْرَبَ الْقُرْآنِ And I found the best way is the way of the Qur'an. أَقْرَأُ فِي الْإِثْبَاتِ الرَّحْمَنُ عَلَى الْأَرْشِ اسْتَوَى إِلَيْهِ يَسْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ الطَّيِّبِ وَأَقْرَأُ فِي النَّفِي لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ وَلَا يُحِيطُونَ بِهِ عِلْمًا وَمَنْ جَرَّبَ مِثْلَ تَجْرِبَتِي عَرَفَ مِثْلَ مَعْرِفَتِي He said, I read in the Qur'an that Allah said he rose above the throne and Allah said that the righteous words ascend to him and I read there is nothing similar to him and no one can encompass his knowledge and whoever tries what I have tried will come to the same conclusion as me. And we know that Abu Yusuf al-Qadi he said, Whoever seeks to get knowledge through rhetoric will become a heretic, will become a zindiq. The reality is that this is why I'm saying this is not about the different sects and groups. I'm actually saying this about brothers who are upon the sunnah, who in their da'wah and in their response to shubuhat, they go into a turaq al-kalamiyya wal-manahij al-falsafiyya. They bring rhetoric, and falsafa, philosophy, and they try to go around the logic of things and try to prove things to people. Rather, what we should do is, we should go to the authentic Quran and the Sunnah, and the authentic Quran and the Sunnah will never contradict a true fitrah or the intellect that has not been, what's the word, it has not been corrupted. Like that famous statement of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, and there's a long discussion, but he said, uh, he said, مَا جَاءَ كُلُّهُ حَقٌ يُصَدِّقُ بَعْضَهُ بَعْضًا 
He said, what came from the Prophet all of it is the truth. And it gives truth to itself, like it supports itself. We said this, it doesn't contradict itself, it supports itself. And it matches a person's natural disposition. Beautiful what he said. He said, he, Allah gave them a fitrah. Allah gave them aqlun sarih. The meaning of aqlun sarih is khali min al-shubahati wa-shahawat. He gave them an intellect without being influenced with doubts and confusion and misconceptions. And he gave them a fitrah and they had a sincere intention. The Quran and Sunnah, which is authentic, yani, uh, the Sunnah Sahihah, La yukhaliful al-aqla sarih wal al-qast sahih He said that the authentic, yani, something which is authentically reported from the Prophet Sallallahu will never go against the intellect which is free of shubahat, nor will it go against the person who has a sincere intention. But where people go wrong in understanding it is either their intention is not sincere or either their intellect is already full of confusion and falsafa. Otherwise, the fitrah itself is very powerful. The Prophet said regarding the straight path, regarding the straight path, he said, al-Islam. وَالسُّرَانِ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ وَالْأَبْوَابُ الْمُفَتَّحَةَ مَحَارِمُ اللَّهِ وَذَلِكَ الدَّاعِي عَلَى رَأْسِ السِّرَاتِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ وَالدَّاعِي مِنْ فَوْقِ وَاعِذُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى فِي قَلْبِ كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ Hadith in Muslim Imam Ahmad. The path is Islam. The straight path is Islam. And the walls on each side are Allah's limits. And the open doors are what Allah made haram. And the caller that calls out to you when you begin is the Qur'an. And the caller that calls to you when you're about to do the haram is a wa'id, is something in your heart. Shaykh al-Islam, he said about it, فَقَدْ بَيَّنَ أَنَّ فِي قَلْبِ كُلِّ مُؤْمِنٍ وَاعِضًا He explained that in the heart of every believer is an alarm bell. He said, وَالْوَعَضِ الْأَمْرُ وَالنَّهِي بِالتَّرْغِيبِ وَالتَّرْهِيبِ فَهَذَا الْأَمْرُ وَالنَّهِي الَّذِي يَقَعْ فِي قَلْبِ الْمُؤْمِنِ مُطَابِقٍ لِأَمْرِ الْقُرْآنِ وَنَهِيهِ وَلِهَذَا He said, وَلِهَذَا يَقْوَى أَحَدُهُمَا بِالْآخَرِ وَيُقَوَى أَحَدُهُمَا بِالْآخَرِ He said, Allah explained that this, the command you have, the prohibition you have, the desire to do good and keep away from wrong, this that comes into your heart, it matches what is in the Qur'an, in your fitrah. Fitri, yani people believe that zina is wrong. And then the Qur'an comes and tells you zina is wrong. So they support each other and strengthen each other. So the true fitrah, if you stick upon it, which Allah said about it, فَأَقِمْ وَجْهَكَ لِلدِّينِ حَنِيفًا فِتْرَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي فَطَرَ النَّاسَ عَلَيْهَا لَا تَبَدِيلَ لِخَلْقِ اللَّهِ ذَلِكَ الدِّينُ قَيِّمْ وَلَكِنَّ أَكْثَرَ النَّاسِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ Surah Al-Rum, Ayah 30. Turn your face towards the upright religion of, of monotheism. It's Allah's fitrah that Allah put you upon. There is no exchange for the creation of Allah. This is the upright religion, but most of the people do not know. Two more small or three more very small points. 
The first is the importance of a tawbah and the fact that sins and shahawat feed a person's shubuhat. Allah Azza wa Jal said, Alam yani lilladina amanu and takhsha akulubuhum li dikri lahi wa manazala min alhaq wala yakunu kaladina utul kitaba min kabulu fatala alihimul amadu fakaset kurubuhum wa kathirum minhum fasikun. The hadith ayah number 16. Has not the time come for those who believe for their hearts to be humbled for the remembrance of Allah and what has come down from the truth? And that they don't be like those people who were given the book before them and a long time passed and their hearts became hard and many of them were defiantly disobedient. So what made their hearts hard was the sin and disobedience and this took them away from the correct knowledge that was given by Allah and put shubahat in their heart. And Allah Corruption has appeared at land and sea because of what the hands of men have earned so that Allah would make them taste some of what they have done so they might return to him. Both of these are sufficient in proving that the shahawat, the desires, cause a person to fall into the shubuhat. Just like the shubuhat also cause a person to fall into the shahawat. I remember uh, one small story that I remember. I remember a brother came to complain about his son that his son had left Islam. And I remember talking to his son. And his son brought me many shubuhat. Really he did. And he brought shubuhat around the Quran, the Sunnah, around like he many things till I thought he had been in touch with like some, you know, uh, other religions and some priests and some like he really went one by one by one like he's brought he brought all the shubahat of the different groups together and he started the Quran the, the authority of the Sunnah the rulings of Islam the treatment of people in Islam he brought all of them together and I remember thinking wow you know this person is really drowning in shubahat until I actually got into his life story a bit and I actually realized that what really made him like this is he wanted to do something that Allah had made haram, a particular relationship or whatever, that Allah had made haram. And when he wasn't allowed to do it, he went looking for a reason to leave Islam. And actually none of these shubahat came to him in the beginning. In the beginning, he wanted to do something Allah made haram. And then what he did because of that is he went looking for the justification for the haram that he wants to do. So we see people like this. For example, someone, issues of uh, you know, LGBT and all this stuff. People like this, يعني, they want to do something, he knows it's haram. Then he goes to look for a justification why he can do it. And then finally he says, I don't believe in Islam. Whereas if he were to say that I believe it's haram, then perhaps that person would not be a person who left the religion of Islam. But instead the person says, no, 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 I'm going to go and find a justification. So the shahwa led them to the shubha. And the shaitan certainly makes it worse. Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ عَدُوًا شَيَاطِينَ شَيَاطِينَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِّ يُوحِي بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَىٰ بَعْضٍ زُخْرُ فَالْقَوْلِ غُرُورًا وَلَوْ شَاءَ رَبُّكَ مَا فَعَلُوهُ فَذَرْهُمْ وَمَا يَفْتَرُونَ Allah said in Surah Al-An'am, we made for every prophet an enemy. Enemies from the shayateen of the men and the jinn, they reveal to each other, they inspire each other with beautified speech and deception. This is a shubha, right? Zuhruf al qawli ghurura. This is the meaning of a shubha. Adorned speech, it looks true, 
but it's deception. Who does it? Shayateen al-insi wal-jinn. They help each other. The shaitan of the men and the jinn, they help each other for that. And the last point that I had on my list of points today for the introduction before, or the sort of the theory of it before we talk about the practical after the break is the issue of not uh, asking unnecessary questions without benefit. This is a hard one. The reason it's hard is we said that the cure for ignorance is asking questions. But some people ask obstinate questions and without sincerity or things that where they will not leave a matter and keep on going into it and into it and into it until they find themselves in a shubha. In Sahih Muslim from the hadith of Abi Huraira, the Messenger of Allah said, لَا يَزَالُ النَّاسِ يَتَسَاءَلُونَ حَتَّى يُقَالُ He said the people will not keep on asking each other until it said, this is Allah who created the creation. فَمَنْ خَلَقَ اللَّهِ Who created Allah? فَمَنْ وَجَدَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ شَيْئًا فَلْيَقُلْ آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ Whoever finds this in themselves, let them say, I believe in Allah. In another narration, لا يزال الشيطان بأحدكم حتى يقول له هذا الله خالق كل شيء فمن خلق الله. The shaitan will not leave you alone until he says to you, this is Allah who created everything. So who created Allah? So the point is what? The people keep asking, يتسألون. But for example, in Qadr, why did this happen? But why about this? But why? But why? But why? And they keep going and not leaving something until one of them falls into a shubha. And the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, when the Sahabi said to him, Ya Rasulullah, Inna ahadana la yajidu fi nafsihi ma... He said, La in yakhir min as sama ila al ardi ahabu ilayhi min an yatakallama bih. فَقَالَ ذَاكَ صَرِيحُ الْإِيمَانِ وَفِي رِوَايَةِ مَا يَتَعَاظَمُ أَنْ يَتَكَلَّمَ بِهِ قَالَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي رَدَّ كَيْدَهُ إِلَى الْوَسْوَسَةِ He said, O Messenger of Allah, one of us finds in ourselves something that we would rather fall from the heavens to the earth than to speak about it. And he said, this is the true iman. This is صَرِيحُ الْإِيمَانِ The most clear and apparent iman, the purest iman. And he said, Alhamdulillah, all praises to Allah who made the plot of the shaitan nothing more than al-waswasa. So the point here is, why is it sarih al-iman? Because the person pushes it away. They don't let it sit there. They don't go into it and ask about it and go more into it. They push it away. They say, Amantu billah, I believe in Allah. I don't have any of this. And that tells you how to also, this statement, Amantu Billah, how to get out of this problem. For we've been sitting for, for, well, you have been sitting for a very long time. I've been quite comfortable on this nice comfy chair. But you guys have been sitting for a very, very long time. Inshallah ta'ala, I do have a small Q&A session to take for my students as well. So I think we could take a little break. What time is the uh, adhan here? Adhan is in? in Excellent. So inshallah, we'll take the adhan, inshallah and the Salah. And after the Salah, maybe we could just go to talk about these, uh, some of these specific issues people have and maybe take some questions. Inshallah, is that okay for the Shaykh? It's okay for after the Salah? It's okay for a small amount of time? For those people who are able to stay, those people who plan their day until Asr, I don't have any problem, Inshallah. 
whatever Allah made easy for you guys. So we stop just a few minutes before the Adhan. We take a break. I have some students to answer some questions for. Uh, and inshallah, we'll resume. I think it might be possible that we leave the equipment. We can maybe move it slightly on the side, but so that it doesn't get disconnected and lost, inshallah. Uh, and we will resume with the specific uh, issues and shubuhat, inshallah. We're going to talk about those, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, uh, after uh, this break. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala abdillahi wa rasulih Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een amma ba'd So my apologies first of all to the brothers because we did say that we would finish by Salat al-Asr I have a history of this to be honest of starting something and trying to finish it and not finishing it on time but what I just wanted to do is even if we don't cover all of the doubts people have, let's just take some practical examples because maybe the theory is, 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 you know, the theory is maybe heavy on a person and the person says, look, you know, like you gave us a lot of points, but let's see an example. One of the major things people have misconceptions about and for the live stream viewers who are waiting for all of the issues, I think maybe what we can do is answer them in a subsequent, uh, you know, sitting inshallah so that we don't like rush over things, you know, because rushing over, it's not going to help it. Nobody's going to get the answer from rushing. But let's take some of the important ones. So first of all, let's talk about, let's talk about Qadr, the divine decree. There are many shubuhat that people have in the issue of Qadr. One of them is when people say, there's, if, if Allah's decree uh, is the truth, then there is no benefit for me to act. Any why should I do any good deeds? I should just be lazy because whatever is going to come to me is going to come to me and whatever is going to miss me is going to miss me. So if we wanted to answer this in a general way, without specifics yet, and we just wanted to prove this is false from the beginning, all we need to prove is that Allah requires you to work hard. That's it. Before we answer Qadr and we answer the issues of Qadr and the Masail and the Maratib and everything, the only thing we need to do to begin with is just prove that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has required from you to work hard. And there are so many evidences for this. We can pick any single evidence we want. Those who strive for us we will guide them to our ways. Those people who believe and do good deeds, Allah is going to place love for them in the earth. Except those who believe and do good deeds, everyone is going to lose out. So this now tells us that this understanding of Qadr must be wrong. Somebody said, I took Qadr and now I understood there is no benefit for me to do righteous deeds at all. So the first thing we responded this to is just the general proofs of doing good deeds. The general proof of doing good deeds. وَمَنْ أَرَادَ الْآخِرَةَ وَسَعَالَهَا سَعْيَهَا وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَأُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ سَعْيُهُمْ مَشْكُورًا 
whoever wants the akhirah and goes and works hard for it while being a believer, it is those who their hard work will be rewarded. So now we didn't answer the issue of Qadr. We didn't answer the maratib or the, the stages of Qadr. We didn't talk about the ayat. We didn't talk about the hadith. We just proved that this concept has to be wrong because it goes against that which is clearly proven within the Quran. We could add to it that the Prophet ﷺ was asked this question by the Sahaba. And he told them, I'malu, act, do your deeds. Every one of you, it will be made easy for you what he was created for. So the point is that we now haven't talked about the issue at hand. Then we go into the details. The first thing, if we're going to go into the details we need to talk about is the maratib of Qadr, the stages of Qadr, as it's explained in the Quran and the Sunnah. So the first is that Allah Azza wa Jal knows every single thing. Allah knows the past, Allah knows the present, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows the future. Allah knows what is possible, and Allah knows what is impossible. If there were gods besides Allah, as those people say, each one of them would have sought nearness to the Lord of the mighty throne. So Allah knows what would happen if there were other gods. And that's impossible, right? There could never be any other gods, but still Allah knows it. Allah knows everything. Allah knows He is Alimul Ghaibi wa Shahada. He knows what is visible and what is hidden. This is the first stage of believing in Qadr. The second stage is that Allah commanded the pen to write and the pen said, what shall I write? And Allah said, write everything that will happen until the Qiyamah. We never missed out anything in the book, any in the record. All of it is in Imam Mubin, a, a clear record, and the ayat like that. So now we understood that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recorded everything that will happen until Yawm Qiyamah in the Lawh Al-Mahfuz. This is built upon the first thing, that Allah knows everything. So for example, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلُ الْأَعْلَى To Allah belongs the greatest example. If we said to somebody, what's your name? Can you write it down? Usually if the person knows how to read and write, they can write their name because you know it. I know my name so I can, I can write it. Allah knows what will happen, so it's not hard for Allah to inspire the pen to write. وَمَا ذَلِكَ عَلَى اللَّهِ بِعَزِيزٍ It's not difficult for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person then says, yes, but that means that whatever I do, before you start thinking about that, before you start thinking about whatever I do and whatever has been written, do you know what has been written for you? No. Have you seen the Lawh al-Mahfuz? No. In that case, what do you need? You need Allah to guide you. And that is, that's what Qadr is all about. Recognizing that you need Allah to help you and you need Allah to guide you. You don't know what's been written. So you have to work in accordance with what you want. I have no choice because I don't know what is written for me. So I have to work hard because Allah promised to guide the people who worked hard. The third level is that everything happens by Allah Azza wa Jal, His Mashi'ah, His will. And then comes another shubha a person brings. They say, but if everything happens by Allah's will, do I have a will? 
And people might bring it on either side. Some people might say, I don't have any free will at all. Any, I'm just a puppet. And I don't have any choice to do anything. And this is the opinion of the Jabariya. I don't say opinion because it makes it sound like it's something valid. Yani this is the falsehood of the Jabariya. Or someone comes and says, there is no Qadr. I can do whatever I want. And Allah doesn't know and Allah doesn't will. And this is the opinion of the Qadariya. Or this is the evil of the Qadariya. What did Ahl Sunnah say? They said what Allah said. لِمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْكُمْ أَنْ يَسْتَقِيمُ وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا إِنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ For the one of you who wants to be upright, so you have a will to be upright, لِمَنْ شَاءَ مِنْكُمْ You, Ya Abdullah, you have a mashia, you have a chance to will for something to happen. But your will cannot go beyond the will of Allah. If I will something, I cannot overrule Allah. So I need Allah's help, I need Allah's guidance, and I have to work hard because Allah promised guidance to the people who work hard. If you work hard for Allah, Allah is going to guide you. And Allah is going to give you a decree that pleases you. So all you can do is work hard and recognize your need of Allah. And that's one of the great benefits of believing in Qadr, that you know how much you need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you. How excellent is what Imam Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala said, ma shi'tu kana, ma shi'ta kana wa in lam asha, wa ma shi'tu in lam tasha lam yakun. Khalaqta al-ibada ala ma alimta wa fil-ilmi yajri al-fata wal-musinu. Ala dha mananta wa hadha khadalta wa hadha a'anta wa dha lam tu'in. Faminhum shaqiyun wa minhum sa'idun wa minhum qabihun wa minhum hasan. He said, whatever you will, O Allah, is going to happen even if I don't want it to happen. And what I want to happen, if you don't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. You created your servants because of what you know. And within your knowledge travels the young and the old. This one you helped and this one you forsook. This one you blessed and this one you forsook and this one you helped and this one you didn't. Among them are the wretched and among them are the eternally happy and among them are the ugly and among them are the beautiful. So he affirms that, oh Allah, I, I decide things. You know, today I decided to finish my class before Asr. I decided, shaitu. I decided my mashia that my class was going to finish before Asr. Washa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it didn't happen like that. Allah willed it didn't happen like that. So I willed something but that will, it only will come into effect in the world if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills it. From the shubhahat people had around Qadr is the issue of not being able to distinguish between what Allah loves and what Allah wills. So they became confused about it. And Allah Azza wa Jal only loves that which is good and righteous, as He told us. Allah doesn't love for His servant to commit disbelief. But Allah sometimes wills something bad to happen that he doesn't love. Why would Allah will something to happen that he doesn't love? Hikmatun baligha, for an infinite wisdom that is with him. Allah does not create evil for evil's sake. Allah does not create evil for the sake of it, for a game or for a joke. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every single evil that exists, it exists for a reason and a purpose. 
This life is a test. To test which of you is best in deeds. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this life a place of test, not a place of rewards. Allah didn't make this life a place of Jannah. He made it a place to test you. That means sometimes hard things happen, bad things happen. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does that for a reason and a wisdom. For example, do you believe when Adam was kicked out from Jannah, that Adam understood all of the blessings that would happen as a consequence of that? No. What Adam saw is he, something bad happened. Something evil happened. Did Allah love for Adam to eat from the tree? He didn't. Because Allah only loves what is good. But Allah willed it for a reason. Can we now see the blessings of what happened to Adam and what happens subsequently to us? The fact that we are here, the fact that Allah inspired us to worship him, the fact that there is a Jannah greater than the Jannah that Adam left. So we see now the wisdom and we say, look, this is Allah's Sharia on the earth and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is establishing worship of him and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like the angels. When Allah said, Inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa, I'm going to place a khalifa on the earth. And the angels knew from the situation of the jinn and the, the situation before, you're going to put on this earth the people who are going to spill blood. And they're going to cause corruption. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us, I know what you don't know. And you see all of the worship and the blessings and the revelation, the prophets and messengers that came from that. But ultimately, when the sin itself happened, we don't see the, the reason for it. Sometimes the reason is to, sh to show who will help the truth and who will not. These days we share among the people. So Allah will test which of you really believe. And he will reach some of you to the level of martyrdom. Someone would say, why could it be? However, however could Allah allow the non-Muslim to have a victory over the Muslim even one day? So Allah will test your iman. And so Allah will make some of you martyrs and give you a very high status in Jannah because of that. That's a wisdom. Do we always see that wisdom? No. The example of Ibn Qayyim is very, very good. He gives the example of a young child and that child needs to have their limb amputated. Of course, when the limb is amputated, from the child's point of view, this is sharrun mahd. It's just pure evil. This evil man came and cut off my arm. But the doctor knows if I didn't do that, the person would have died. The child would have died. So the child cannot see all of the consequences of what is going to happen. But the child, if they could see more and they had more knowledge, would know the reason why that was done to them. And Allah is infinitely more knowledgeable and infinitely more powerful and infinitely more wise. So we need to understand that Allah does not create evil as a game or a joke. But Allah creates evil for a reason. And that's why we say, Evil is not attributed to you. And some people also in Qadr became confused about guidance and misguidance. So they said, for example, I don't understand how Allah can be the one that guides people and misguides people. How can it be Allah that guides people and misguides people? So again, Allah Himself deals with this in the Quran. Two ayat I will give you. 
One in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ حَبَّبَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْإِيمَانِ وَزَيَّنَهُ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ وَكَرَّهَ إِلَيْكُمُ الْكُفْرَ وَالْفُسُوقَ وَالْعِسْيَانِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الرَّاشِدُونَ فَضْلًا مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَنِعْمَةً وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Allah says it is Allah who made iman beautiful to your heart. Allah made you love it and he made it beautiful to your heart. And Allah made you hate disbelief and defiance and disobedience. It is those people who are rightly guided as a grace from Allah and a blessing. And Allah is all knowing and wise. So Allah described our Iman as a grace. It's not, uh, you know, something we deserve. He described it as a blessing. It's additional to the work that we've done. And therefore, if Allah gives, I mean, if you give a, a blessing to someone, like for example, if you go now and take some 200 rand out of your pocket, you give it to a brother. And this is your, your 200 rand to give to somebody. And the other guy can't say, hold on, why are you not give me four? Because none of you did any work for it, but you know, I chose to give it to you. It's a gift. I'm not oppressing. I'm not taking away my kid's inheritance or something. I just, I chose to give it to you. So if Allah Azza wa Jal called Iman and Ni'mah and Afadl, then it's Allah's right to give it to whoever He wants. But having said that, does that mean that Allah gives it at random? No. Wallahu alimun hakim. Allah is the one who knows everything, so He knows who to give it to. Isn't it Allah who knows best who will be grateful? And Allah is Hakim, is all wise about who to give it to. So even though Iman is a gift from Allah, He can give it to anyone He wants. It belongs to Him, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Him, He can give it to anyone. But Allah knows who is going to be grateful, and Allah Azza wa Jal is all wise in who He gives it to. The second ayah. Someone says, okay, fine, Allah is wise, gives the guidance. But misguidance, you cannot say Allah misguides people. The Prophet said, Whoever Allah guides, no one can misguide him, and whoever Allah misguides, no one can guide him. Someone says, I can't understand this. We already said the general answer about the justice of Allah, the fairness of Islam, but let's give a detailed answer now. Allah said, وَلَوْ تَرَى إِذْ وُقِفُوا عَلَى النَّارِ فَقَالُوا يَا لَيْتَنَا نُرَدْ when Allah said, if you could see the people thrown over the fire, when they said how we wish that we could go back, how we wish that we could go back, and we won't deny the ayat of Allah. And we're going to be from the believers. Allah says, These people, they said, when they put over the fire, if you put us back, we will not deny your ayat. We're not going to deny the ayat of Allah. And we'll be the believers. So the hellfire, these people are in hellfire forever. They said, oh Allah, put us back. We will not deny your ayat. And we will be from the believers. Rather, they expose what they hid before. And if we put them back, they would do the same thing again. And they are the liars. What does that tell us? Doesn't it tell us that it is just what happens to the people of the hellfire because they're not even sincere. When they want to go back, they're not even willing to go back and be Muslim. 
They're saying, take us out of the fire, put us back on the earth. We put them back on the earth, they do the same thing again. So this shows the justice of those that Allah Azza wa Jal chooses to misguide. Time. There are other issues with regard to Khadr, the issues of uh, the final level, which is the issue that every single thing, objects and actions, is from Allah's creation, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa created you and what you do. Wallahu khalaqakum wa ma ta'amaloon. Allah created you and what you do. And some people might say, does that mean that my actions don't belong to me? The answer is that Allah created us in two ways. Allah creates directly, like Allah created Adam. He created him from dust. And Allah creates like the way that he created you and I. By giving our parents the ability to have children. And so giving human beings the ability to have children is the creation of Allah. And creating Adam from Turab is the creation of Allah. Both of them. And so when we have an ability to do something and we do it, it's our action that we are blameworthy for it. But Allah Azza wa Jal is the one who created that ability within us. So this again is a very simple response to these issues. But how, did we need all of the detail to begin with? In the first instance, we didn't. We just needed to say, look, Allah does not oppress anyone and the religion of Islam is not unfair. And Allah tells you to work hard and Allah tells you that he needs you. You are the ones who need, are in desperate need of Allah. So if we understood the general principle, then we could get into the details. We have a video on this which goes into more detail. But just to give people that, you know, some proper answers. So people are really confused. I believe this is one of the major reasons people leave Islam. One of the major reasons that people, uh, they, they go into atheism is because they keep saying, why is it me? Why did Allah misguide me? Why, has that, why if, it, if, if Islam was true, I would have been guided. But that is, that is takabbur, right? That's the sin that Iblis said, Ana khayrun min, min wa min I'm better than him. You created me from fire, you created him from clay. So this idea of feeling yourself to be superior and saying that if, uh, if there was a God, then Allah would have guided me, that in itself doesn't stand up to the ayat of the Quran. With regard to the truth of Islam, well, let's talk about now one more point. Let's talk about the fairness of Islam. Because the truth of Islam we deal with in another video in detail. So let's talk about the fairness of Islam. For example, people say Islam is not fair to women, for example. And they give the ayah, Yusikumullahu fi awladikum lidhakari mithlu hadlil unthayain. Allah gives you a command with regard to your children that the male receives twice that of the female. Again, our general response is that Allah does not oppress anyone. The Lord doesn't oppress anybody. And that Allah commands you with justice. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala harrama al-dhulma ala nafsihi wa ja'alahum muharraman. Allah has made dhulm haram upon himself and made it haram between us, right? So after that, there can be no doubt. And Allah is the one that created the male and the female. And the male and female are not the same. But now specifically, we have two or three points to make about the issue of inheritance. 
The first point that we have to make about the issue of inheritance is, is it the case in every part of fara'id that the male gets twice that of the female? No, it's not. It's not the case. It's the case for a particular situation, a particular subset, any the month that the money that is left over, what is left over, it gets split between, for example, the sons and daughters. So we first of all don't agree the concept that every woman will receive less than every man in, in inheritance. That's simply not true. For example, the mother, she might receive one third, she might receive one sixth. This could be significantly more than any of the children receive, boys or girls, depending on how many they are. So we don't believe this idea that it's a universal truth that, for example, uh, women always receive less than men. The second point we want to make is, what is the obligation of that woman with the money she receives and what is the obligation of the man with the money he receives? So as for the man, he's obliged to spend that money upon the female members of his family. He spends upon his wife, he spends upon his parents, he spends upon his children, he spends upon any of the people that he's responsible for. Because Allah has given him a degree of responsibility. Allah made it a, a, a degree of responsibility because of the money that he's required to spend. That girl who takes that share, what does she have to spend it upon? She is not obliged generally to spend it on anyone except herself. She can buy handbags and shoes if that's what she wants to do. She doesn't have to spend upon anyone. Allahumma, if she's the only one who has money and her parents are old and they don't have it, that's a different matter. But in general, generally speaking, her obligation to spend is almost zero or only a very small amount. Whereas the man's obligation to spend is significant. So does it not seem then fair for that man to have a larger share because he's going to spend more of that money upon other members of his family? In general. In general. So this is just a simple point I need to show that this whole idea is in itself wrong. It's built first of all upon a misconception, which people tell you. Uh, and then secondly, if or thirdly, look at the issue of the woman's right to own her own wealth. And this is something that only was affirmed by Islam and given by Islam. It didn't exist before that. She was before that, she was considered wealth to be distributed. Forget getting, getting uh, yani, uh, one part out of, out of three. She used to be part of the three that was inherited. They used to inherit the woman. And they used to say that she's part of the property of the dead person. And that's until Allah for example, don't marry the women that your fathers had previously married. They used to inherit women and pass them on in the inheritance. And Islam gave her wealth and the right for her to spend it on whatever she wants and so on. And the obligations that are suited to her. But why is there a difference? Why can't we just make every single thing equal? Because as Allah said, Men and women are fundamentally different. But does that mean they don't have the same reward? 
Allah Azza wa Jalla said, "Wala tatamanna ma faddal Allah bihi ba'dakum 'ala ba'd lil rijali nasibun mimma iktasabu wa lin nisa'i nasibun mimma iktasabn." Was'alullah min fadli. Allah told you, don't seek what some men have given or what some people are given over others. Men have a chance to earn reward and women have a chance to earn reward and ask Allah from his bounty. Amazing that Allah said, don't try for a woman to get what a man has and don't try for a man to get what a woman has. Type reverse it. What did the Prophet say about the woman? If she, she uh, obeys her Lord, or she believes in her Lord, she prays her five daily prayers, and she obeys her husband, what happens? She enters Jannah from whichever of the doors she wants to. Type, I, I want that instead. If I obey my wife and I believe in Allah and I pray five times a day, I want to enter the, the door of jihad without making jihad and I want the door of psalm without fasting and I want... What? This is something Allah has given this woman He hasn't given me. And that's her right, suited perfectly to her nature and her needs and what she wants. It's perfect for her. So don't look at what Allah gave one over the other. What's the asal of this shubha? The asal of this shubha is refusing to recognize the differences between men and women. And refusing to recognize that each one has their own needs and their own creation and their own habits and characteristics that's unique to them. Alayhi Allah, or as Allah said, uh, isn't the one who created, doesn't the one who created know better what's good for you? And so this is just a simple example of how people present a false uh, impression of Islam uh, to people. Some of these uh, false ideas actually come not from outside of Islam, but from inside of Islam. For example, people have doubts regarding the authenticity of the Sunnah. And they say the Sunnah was not written in the time of the Prophet So where's the shubha in this? The shubha is it's true that the Prophet used to prohibit some of the Sahaba from writing the Sunnah during his lifetime. But notice I said some of the Sahaba. Let's first of all look at is it even true? We said sometimes the shubha you have to you have to actually know, is this shubha even true? So go back, what do you find? Abu Hurairah, he said, no one had more hadith than me. Illa Abdullah ibn Amr. He said, no one had more hadith than me except Abdullah ibn Amr. Because he used to write the hadith and I didn't used to write the hadith. And the statement of Ali radiallahu about except what's in this scroll. And they said, what's in this scroll? And he mentioned the points, the issues of the uh, inheritance or the issues of uh, who is that, that a, a person is not, a, a believer is not killed for, and so on, like the issues of jinayat and punishments and whatever. But the point is that Ali ibn Abi Talib had a scroll of hadith. Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As had a scroll of hadith. Most of it you'll find in the hadith that are narrated uh, from uh, Amr ibn Shu'ib and Abihi and Jaddihi, from his father, from his, grand, his father's grandfather, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As. These hadith were written down in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So it's not true that hadith were not written. That's the first point. But what's the general answer before that? What's the general answer to this issue? 
How can you answer someone says, hadith were not written, it's not, hadith are not true. Very simple. Very, very simple. Allah said, We sent down the dhikr and we will keep it safe. Someone says, the dhikr here is the Quran. No problem. Keeping the Quran safe also entails keeping the sunnah safe because the Quran tells you to follow the sunnah in many, many ayat. Whatever the messenger gives you, take it. Whatever he keeps you away from, abstain from it. Whatever he forbids you from, abstain from it. We cannot do that without the preservation of the sunnah. Allah said that the, the, the dhikr was sent down to the Prophet for you to explain to the people. Allah sent down the dhikr for you to explain to the people what was revealed to them. So if Allah sent down to the Prophet something to explain to them the Quran that was revealed to them, this also must be protected. Furthermore, if we use a, a dalil aqli shar'i, a dalil which is shar'iyun aqli, it's a logical answer, but it's a shar'i answer, it's, it's used in the Quran. For example, the statement of Allah Perform the prayer and give the zakah. How can I give the zakah? Does the Quran tell me how much gold and silver? Maybe it tells me there's gold and silver to give, but does it tell me how much the nisab and how much percentage I have to give? It doesn't tell me. So in other words, I cannot implement this ayah unless I have the sunnah. Therefore, we know the sunnah has to be preserved, but we just don't know how. So the first thing is it's a misconception to say it wasn't written down in the time of the Sahaba because it was. The second thing is that the Sahaba were not a people who were expert in writing. It was not their field. Any writing was not something that they were very, very proficient in. But they were extremely proficient in memory. Some of them were good writers. That's why they became Kuttab al-Wahi. They wrote down the the Qur'an. And that's why the Prophet prohibited the people who wrote the Qur'an from writing the Hadith. So they don't mix the Qur'an and Hadith. Not for them, but for even the person who reads later. He takes the Mus'haf and he starts reading Alif, Lam, Meem. No, he gets himself confused yani between the Hadith and between the Qur'an. But once the Qur'an was written and sealed, many of them, yani many of the people wrote the Hadith until writing the Hadith became famous in the time of the followers of the Tabi'een, and even many of the Tabi'een also used to write. But memorization is what they were good at. Then you have the whole science of hadith, and the science of hadith checks the memory of each individual narrator, and checks and compares to other narrations, and so on and so forth, which told you that the sunnah has been preserved. And it's not true to say that nothing was written down until Imam al-Bukhari, when he died 256 years after the Hijrah. Rather, uh, Az-Zuhri before him with the command of Umar bin Abdul Aziz around the hundreds after the Hijrah wrote down that hadith and Imam Malik's Muwatta Imam Malik 190 190 or 90 90 something and he, he died uh, Imam Malik he 97 Imam Malik he also Rahimahullah uh, Ta'ala wrote his Muatta before Sahih al-Bukhari. So there were people writing down the hadith all the way from 100, 150, 170, 190, 100 and they were writing down the hadith. 
they were writing down the hadith. So the point is that we, we don't have time to go into all the details, but when you look at this, you find plenty of information, but you already knew that it was wrong in the beginning because you knew it's not possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't preserve the sunnah because without preserving the sunnah, we cannot implement his commands in the Quran. Not to mention the fact that Allah said himself that he would preserve the dhikr and the dhikr is used in the Quran to mean the Quran and it's used to mean the sunnah as well. It's used to mean the sunnah as well. Similarly, if someone gave you a, a shubha around the Quran, you know, recently we saw people saying, I don't believe the qiraat are preserved and I don't believe the Quran is preserved and well, silly things like this. It would be enough for you to simply say the statement of Allah, inna We sent down the remembrance, we're going to keep it safe. That's enough for you. But then you go into details. You learn about the qiraat and the, all of the qiraat which we are reading and the riwayat from them. That is, uh, for example, the seven qiraat that are mentioned in Ash-Shatibiyyah, along with the, the different ruwat from them, and those that are mentioned in Ad-Durrah, and those that are mentioned in Tayyibat al-Nashr, uh, the, the riwayat and the qiraat al-Kubra wa al-Sughra, that all of these, according to any of the research, all of them are reported with tawatur, mutawatirah from the Prophet ﷺ. They reported from the Prophet ﷺ with tawatur, and with so many chains of narration that it is not possible for one of them to have a mistake. And we know that the Muslim Ummah memorizes the Qur'an generation after generation, right? As part of the miracle of the Qur'an. Every generation memorizes the Qur'an and passes it on. So this is, the point is you answer this by going into the Qira'at and the, you can take the Muqaddimah of Ash-Shatibiyah, Hirz al-Amani, uh, where he talks about the origins of the Qira'at and the Imams and who they were and who their students were. And you can study that. But in the beginning, just the fact that you know that Allah promised to preserve the Qur'an and someone comes to you and says the Qur'an is not preserved. And sometimes people come with silly arguments, to be honest. And I saw someone came the other day and he was, he was on, the, on YouTube telling people about their qiraat and he brought something in the riwayah of Imam Warsh and Nafi' something very small, like a, small, a very small difference yani. I don't remember exactly what the difference was, but it was very, very small and he said, see, you know, this, this man Warsh came and changed the Qur'an and he's telling people this and you want to laugh at him, you said, if I read to you Khalaf, you would probably say, this is not even the Qur'an, yani, where did this come from? Yani, the, sometimes the words in the Qira'at, they change, but all of them match what? The Mus'haf of Uthman, and all of them are narrated from the Prophet Wasallam So you have two things, you have the Tawatur, the consensus of, you have the tawatur that, that it's been narrated by so many people at every single level that it's not possible is a lie. And then you have the ijma' of the sahaba upon it. But somebody just, what happened is the first day he heard someone reading in a qira'ah or riwayah he never heard before. He got excited about it. He was like, oh, it's not in my mus. Look, I've got a mushaf here. It says, it doesn't say that. He just, like the, the person said, Sahlan, 
Sahlun. Or as the poet said, something close to that. He said, it came to me that Sahl has been criticizing knowledge that Sahl didn't know. Knowledge that if he understood it, he would never have hated it. But it's Sahl to be ignorant about things. And it's easy for a person to be ignorant about things. For a person, subhanAllah, first time they heard something, they rejected it, they got excited, they made a YouTube video that this guy's made up something from the Quran. And they don't even know. Who said to you that, that the Prophet ﷺ read as Hafs read more than he read as Warsh read, for example? Or that how many times he read like that and like that? But subhanAllah, a person just yani, heard something and got, and then they spread it. But the point is, inshallah, ikhwani, we don't want to take too much more of the time. Inshallah, we want to make some more videos, inshallah, about specific shubahat and try to answer them. But what we wanted to do today is just to show you that it is the nature of the world we are living in today that people are spreading fake news and false information about Islam. It is the case that some of the people among the different groups of the Muslims, some of the people outside of Islam, some of the other religions are spreading false information, are spreading misguidance, are giving confusing things that make you confused. But if we follow those, these tips that we mentioned today, and we understand where this problem comes, so we talk about the fact that everyone has moments where they might have some issues. They turn back to Allah, they don't speak without knowledge, they stick to the Quran and the Sunnah. They ask the people of knowledge and they don't ask people of ignorance. They take knowledge in stages, they keep away from logic and these type of things that doesn't come in the Quran. Uh, they stick to their pure fitrah and, and, and logic that has not been corrupted by misconceptions. They make tawbah, they turn back to Allah, they keep away from the shaitan. They don't get into asking pointless questions without benefit. They follow the sunnah, they check and, and make sure that the information is correct. They stick to the understanding of the Sahaba, they are sincere, they ask Allah for al-thabat, they make dua to Allah to take this doubt away from them. They don't sit with the people who are spreading these shubahat, they don't watch their videos, and when they have something that is not clear, they return it back to something that is unequivocal. These are just some basic points about how we deal with uh, confusion, shubahat, doubts, misconceptions, and then the practicalities of it is something that each single shubha requires a proper answer to it. So we mentioned some with regard to Qadr. We've got more videos on that. I've got a video on the proof that the Sunnah is preserved also. We've got uh, videos on also, I've got some small videos on things like Darwinism, uh, all these types of things, atheism and so on. Each one of them, the arguments have specific detailed answers. But we only need to begin with the generic answer and to stick to these points, inshallah. And by that, inshallah ta'ala, we would be safe from these doubts and confusion and misconceptions that people have. Last point is that, my dear brothers, I, I don't believe that, inshallah ta'ala, the people in the masjid, shak and these shubuhat, doubts and confusion. But rather, what I believe is that almost all of us know people who have that. Even if we are okay by the permission of Allah and by Allah's grace, we know people who do have that problem. So how can we help them? We can help them by looking at where they're going wrong. 
So we see the reason is they're watching the YouTube videos of the Christians and, the, and pastors making debates with Muslims and by that they're getting the wrong idea. Or we see they're going wrong because they keep on trying to understand things without proper knowledge and not taking knowledge in stages. Or we see that they're going wrong because they're not going back to the Quran and the Sunnah and they're using just their intellects and their thoughts which have been corrupted. So we find out what they're going wrong with and we try to help them. But remember, all of us, myself and everyone else in this room watching this video, without a shadow of a doubt, even the mashayikh, everyone, none of us has got the answer, the detailed answer to every single issue that people bring. No way. Nobody has a detailed answer to every single issue. So we have to cooperate with each other. We take people back to the people who are specialists in certain fields. We get the answers. So recently when this issue came out about the Qira'at, AMAU, Alhamdulillah, my institute, uh, Ustad Rahman, we interviewed, uh, we interviewed uh, Sheikh Jamal, who was an expert, who is an expert in the Qira'at, and he spent several hours explaining the chains of narration and where it came from and why it's preserved and protected. So that kind of answer you're not going to get from me. You're going to get from me, the max you're going to get from me is the muqaddimah of a shatabiyah. That's, that, that's about all I'm going to give you. But somebody who's a specialist gives you real, goes into all the details about this, this and this and this. So sometimes you do need to take somebody back to someone's specialist answer. But make sure you gave them the general answer first. So before you don't say like next week we'll ask the sheikh. This person's thinking about atheism and Darwinism and they're about to leave Islam. But next week I'm going to take you to sheikh to answer. Give them the generic answer. Look, Islam is the truth because one, two, three, four. Give them the ayah, give them a hadith, what you know. Then from there, take them to the person who can give them the details and give them the specific answers for the confusion and the doubts which those people might have. That is more than enough for uh, my part of the program. If any of the brothers had any questions or points of clarification, because we have some of our mashayikh here as well, so we certainly would love to hear from them if they have any points of correction or clarification. Uh, for sure, when you speak for a long time, you make mistakes, slips of the tongue, forgetfulness, it happens. So any thoughts, comments, questions, we would welcome them. Wa jazakumullahu khayran. Sheikh. Just a rejection from myself and you may see that of Imam Malik is 187. 187. Yes, Imam Malik. 187. Tamam, Sheikh. I believe you, Allah. It's gonna. Abu Hanifa is 150 for sure. No. Um, 187. Tamam. Tamam, Sheikh. Okay, we had some questions. Okay. Sheikh, did you have any other further issues, no. ideas, or thoughts you wanted no. to share with Sheikh? No. Sheikh. Okay. Okay, how do I deal with doubts when I have mental illness, such as depression, anxiety, and schizophrenia? This is a very good question. I believe that when someone is suffering from illnesses that affect their thinking, I'm not talking about seeking a cure, because we seek a cure through ruqya, we seek a cure through permissible medicines, uh, inshallah. We seek a cure from Allah through those things. But I'm talking about how do you deal with shubuhat. I think there are two answers. One answer is the statement of Allah in Surat Al-A'raf Those people 
who they, they have taqwa, they obey Allah. So doing your best to, to shield yourself from Allah's punishment is a part of it. When the shaitan touches them with a, a, an impulse or a, a waswasa or an affliction, they remember. What do they remember? From the best of what I've read from the books of tafsir, tadakkaru can mean dhakarullah, they remember Allah. So they say subhanallah, they say amantu billah, like the, like the Prophet said, if this comes into your head, if it comes into one of your head, then say, yani the, who created Allah, this, when shaitan puts this into your head, say amantu billah, I believe in Allah. Uh, Ibn Abbas said to recite, wal awwal wal akhir wal dhahir wal batin. And likewise, for a person to uh, praise Allah or for a person to say, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah, or to say, Raditu billahi rabba wa bil islami deena wa bi Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallama nabiya. To remember Allah. The other meaning of the ayah is, Tadakkaru anna dhalika min al shaytan. They remember it's from the shaytan. So when you've got this kind of you know, doubts and, if, and you're confused, remember it's not from you. Remember you're not well, you've got secrets to Just push it away and remember this is not me. This is not me. This, is not, this confusion is not coming from me. I believe in Allah. Remember Allah and remember it's from the shaytan. That's one thing. The next thing is that when we have some kind of mental illnesses, one thing is very important is to use or to seek out support from other people with their opinions. So for example, you go to a family member and say, something's been coming into my head like this. Let them help you to understand it. instead of you keeping it in your, and it's bouncing around your brain like that. That I believe it's to be, uh, it's very important. Uh, forgive me, I close your phone. Thani. What's the authentic spirituality in Islam from the understanding of the Salaf al-Salih? This word spirituality, it's a bit of a funny uh, mustalah. It's a bit of a strange terminology because it's hard to tie it down. But I did give a radio talk in Cape Town on this topic. And I took spirituality to mean two things. I don't like these istilahat these that are hard to know what it means. Like what is spirituality? I took two things. Tazkiyah to nafs, purifying the soul. Qad aflaha man zakkaha. That successful is the one who purifies it. And we talked about purifying the soul. And then the issue of al-ubudiyah. The issue of uh, a person attaching uh, their heart as a servant to Allah and servitude to Allah and worship to Allah. Both of these two things, I think, are, the two, are what is meant by spirituality in the sunnah. And if we, if we try to translate this term spirituality, let's call it, Al-Ubudiyah, being a true slave to Allah, and Tazkiyatun Nafs, purifying the soul by cleaning it and by building upon it. Because Zakah comes meaning At-Tathir wa Nama, cleaning it and building it. I gave a talk on this topic, inshallah. It would be good if we could post it on the YouTube channel when we get hold of the audio from it, because it does have, and I did go into quite some details about it. Where could you take it from? For example, uh, the book of uh, Ibn al-Qayyim Rahimullah uh, ta'ala I think in English In English it's called something I don't, It should be called the sickness and the medicine But it's, called, it's not It's called something like 
I can't remember what the name, translated name of it is in English, but the disease and its cure, Sheikh, well done, that's exactly it, Wallah. The disease and its cure, a da'wah da'wah by Ibn al-Qayyim. Uh, also, Risalat al-Ubudiyyah by Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, ta'ala, his treatise on servitude, um, and many other things, yani many other, uh, the books of, of uh, Tazkiyah and Tarbiyah, the books of purifying the soul and so on, that explain what the authentic understanding of Tazkiyah to nafs, along with, uh, the position of being a servant of Allah, what that really means. There might be other terms, but we have to define them. So if someone says, no, no, that's not what I mean by spirituality. I don't mean al-ubudiyyah, and I don't mean tazkiyat al-nafs. I mean something else. So we have to give it its proper name so we can find the books that are written on it. Otherwise, and the first problem is that the mustalih is a bit vague. We don't really know what is everyone understands from it. A person completes their daily word of the Qur'an, and they ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they say, Oh Allah, I ask you by the Qur'an. Whoever reads the Qur'an, let him ask Allah by it. Wallahi, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't, recall the, I don't recall the explanation of the hadith properly. Sheikh, do you have for Shaykh? Like, I, I, I would like to, I can give you half an answer, but half an answer is no good. Yani like, I can give you half an answer, but I wanted to give you a, you know, like, to give you a proper answer on it. So to a proper answer, I would have to look up the hadith, I would look up the authenticity, and I would also look up the explanations of the hadith and how to implement it, inshallah. But wallah, I don't, I don't recall it from my mind at this moment in time. Okay, I think that's, inshallah, a good place for us to stop. We ask uh, the Mashaykh to excuse us for taking so long of their time and making them, subhanAllah, sit in front of us and this kind of thing, saying, subhanAllah. It's not, uh, it's not befitting, but we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it of benefit. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to teach us what benefits us, to benefit us with what He teaches us. We ask Allah to increase us in knowledge. And finally, whatever I said that in this uh, session and the session before that is correct, that's Allah's grace and mercy. Uh, that he gives subhanahu wa ta'ala and if I made a mistake in something that doesn't have anything to do with Allah and his messenger and the religion of Islam and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best was salatu was salam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in